Hey, it's Will Friedle. And Sabrina Bryan. And we're the hosts of the new podcast, Magical Rewind. You may know us from some of your favorite childhood TV movies like My Date with the President's Daughter. And the Cheetah Girls movies. Together we're sitting down to watch all the movies you grew up with and chat with some of your favorite stars and crew that made these iconic movies happen. So kick back, grab your popcorn, and join us. Listen to Magical Rewind on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Brought to you by State Farm. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Oh, should we start this show? Yeah, I'm down. Just buying a car in Carvana first. Ooh, for real? Yeah, it's super convenient. I already got pre-qualified in two minutes. All I had to do is answer a few questions. Ooh, that's helpful. And now just customizing my down and monthly payments. Ooh, that's a very fair deal. Yep. Boom. Just bought a car. And you get to take me to the Carvana vending machine in a couple days to pick it up. Ooh. I'm kind of busy. Visit Carvana.com to finance your next car. Financing subject to credit approval. A warmer brother below. Welcome to Lovey Las Vegas for Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Pierce. And now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast. We've got a great podcast for you guys. In segment number two, we're going to be joined by Kevin Sweeney. I apologize. My audio is just a little bit muffled there. It sounds like I'm on the phone. I'm not sure why. Technology always trying to give us gremlins. But with that said, you're going to get the great dulcet tones of our good friend Kevin Sweeney over there at Sports Illustrated and the CBB Central Podcast. He's going to be talking about some of the teams that he has seen in person. I sound muffled with my questions, but he gives great answers and lends a little bit of insight there. We're also going to be talking a little bit about some of the big games that we're going to be seeing on Thursday. And if there's anything to these teams playing these very strange conference games here in very late November, early December, if they're any different from what we see in normal conference play and why it might mean a little bit more to these mid-major teams rather than these power conference teams as well. So we're going to get some great insights from our good friend Kevin Sweeney in segment number two. In the final segment, I give you guys fixing analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Thursday as we hit some bank shots. If you've got a question, comment, segment idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways to be able to throw those in. First one is my Twitter timeline at unit underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters EM. They mean those not matter, so as per usual, please send these into the timeline. Other ways, find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated. From there, you are able to fire in whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast. By that five-star review, did not get in any Twitter questions today, but we've got some great basketball to recap for you guys, so let's dive into that right about now. A few games from Tuesday, but mostly we're going to be taking a look at what we all got on Wednesday, try to find some trends, and try to get to know these seems a little bit better. A game from yesterday is Greg buzzing about. Here is the rowdy recap. Since the Greg Peterson experience is now from midnight to 3 Eastern, I've got a few late Tuesday games to polish off. CSUN just continues to be a thorn in the side of so many. 55-46, to 46, Boise State got the win, but no cover for Boise State. Marcus Shaver Jr. just continues to do it all. 19 points, 5 boards, 4 assists, 4 steals. Someone lent him some help, though, and for CSUN, they just did a solid job in this one. They played even up in terms of the turnovers. They made Boise State take some bad shots. They made this game bowling ball shoe ugly, so credit where credit is due there. The Elkhorn State versus Grand Canyon game was very fascinating, to say the least, as I believe that Grand Canyon got up by kind of 22 to 1 to begin this game, and at one point they were up 36 to 8. And then you saw Elkhorn State roar all the way back to cut the lead to 1 with about 7.5 minutes remaining. Elkhorn State gets a cover 80 to 72, but 
for Grand Canyon. It's been a very strange team to gauge this season. Georgia Tech, they got to push against Iowa 81-65 to and that one as for Iowa. I mean, Chris Murray, 31 points and 20 rebounds. He's looking like an early front runner for the Naismith Award at this point with the way that he's been looking. And for Georgia Tech, give a little bit of credit where credit is due. They still played pretty solid on the glass. They were able to give themselves 15 offensive rebounds. You had a good performance with 21 points and four boards out of Miles Kelly. So they were able to, at the very least, be able to scrape out a push. Virginia, they win, but don't cover against Michigan 70-68. to And if you had Michigan money line, this was a little bit tough because they were leading by double figures at the half. And for Michigan, you once again, as always, got a solid game out of Hunter Dickinson. Seven boards, 23 points, five blocks. But for Virginia, they just continue to be hot from three. They go four of eight from distance, so not a lot of threes, but they're overall for the season shooting about 45% for distance. Something else I'm going to ask Kevin Sweeney about is what he makes out of some of these teams that are just blistering hot from three-point range as Jaden Gardner, double-double, 11 rebounds, 12 points, and Michigan, they lost the turnover battle by kind of 12-7, and sometimes you just get into stretches where you can't seem to get anything to go your way. It happens to the best of us, and it's been happening to me with these DK Nation picks. I had the under in UC Irvine versus San Diego State. A three-pointer made by Micah Parrish with 2.4 seconds remaining pushed this game over. Needed, like, 33 points, I think it was, in the final seven minutes for it to not come home. And, of course, that happened. 72-69 to in the final. UC Irvine, a quality cover. And UC Irvine looks very good. DJ turned it up. Davis, 28 points, 4 of 6 from three-point range. Hopefully, the breaks are going to start to go our way sooner rather than later because it's all cyclical, but certainly did like what I saw out of UC Irvine. And for San Diego State, Matt Bradley spent a little bit off with his shot. He went just 1-5 of from 3 in this game with 14 points. So we shall see if he's able to polish that up moving forward. And then we saw some early games on Wednesday that were of intrigue. I know many of you guys were invested in the Wyoming versus Santa Clara game. Santa Clara opened up a two-and-a-half-point favorite. They closed more around six. Lands right in the middle, 89-85 the final. That line move was because Hunter Maldonado was out of the full, but Max Ogbung Polo, hopefully I said that correctly, he was back in for Wyoming. 16 points, six rebounds. He looked pretty solid, and Wyoming goes a blistering 12-23 from three-point range. He played this at like Salt Lake City Community College, and clearly these two teams, they responded well to the environment. Santa Clara, just eight turnovers in this game, and you were able to get a double-double, 15 points, 11 rebounds out of Jaden Bediaco, and then the Illinois transfer, Braden Pozmeski. 19 points, 10 rebounds for the kid from the great state of Wisconsin at Santa Clara. Pulls it out. Lipscomb and Navy a very early one. Lipscomb it was sweaty, but they were able to get the cover 82-77 to as they went 19-25 of 25 at the free throw line. Hassan Asadula, 14 points, 10 rebounds, 18 points in this one for Darren Boyd. And for Navy, they go 11-21 of 21 from three-point range as Tyler Nelson for the season is shooting well above 50% from three. Went 6-8 from distance, 20 points, 12 rebounds. Problem was Navy had 19 turnovers, so lips comes eight. Typically, you don't see the academies have some lapses like that, but happened in this one. Temple, they were able to utilize a big second half to take down LaSalle by a count of 67-51. to LaSalle had a double-digit lead in this one, and heck, they were leading with under 10 minutes remaining, and then things went straight down the toilet bowl from there as LaSalle to end the game. They were outscored in the final 10 or so minutes by a count of 28-7. Four touchdowns to one for Temple in the final 10 minutes in this game, and for Temple, 
Goals. They had Khalif Battle and Damian Dunn combined for 39 points with Battle battling with a 4 of 8 three-point shooting performance and for LaSalle. I mean, they didn't really turn the ball over a lot, but they went cold. 4 of 19 from three-point range. They attempted 17 more field goal attempts than Temple, but the problem was they just kept coming up stake high. So that was not great for them. Butler, a very nice win over Kansas State. This one by a count of 76-64 for Kansas State. Not a lot to them from distance. 4 of 20 from 3. And for Butler, they went 8 of 20 from the outside. Manny Bates, a nice double-double with 3 blocks, 22 points, 10 rebounds. You didn't get a lot off the bench. For Butler, they're still a little bit thin there. But for Kansas State, just did not get their shots to go as he did have... Still, Keontae Johnson give the team 20 points, 12 rebounds, and Marquise Noel doled out 8 assists, but past that, you really didn't get a lot aside from Desi Sills. Off the bench, he was able to give the team 17 points. George Mason with a good quality win and a cover in overtime, 81-77 the final. This was a game that Hofstra was controlling throughout, and then George Mason was able to roar back late for Hofstra. Just been a little bit rough with her three-point shooting recently. Aaron Estrada did his part, 31 points, 5 rebounds. He goes 4 of 7 from 3. Guys not named Aaron Strada went 4 of 21 from three-point range. And for George Mason, Josh Odudu, a double-double, 21 points, 11 rebounds. And for Hofstra, they won the turnover battle 15 to 10, but lost the rebound battle 40 to 33. And that turned out to be a big difference maker as George Mason goes 18 of 22 from the free throw line. Hofstra, 15 of 22 at the free throw line. Eastern Michigan on the road wins by double figures against Florida International. 80-68. The Manny Bates show was pretty solid in this one. 26 points, 8 rebounds, but it was Noah Farrakhan who also was able to emerge. He had 25 points, so Batman and Robin were able to do a solid job in for Florida International. If you took the over like I did, 1-15 of 15 from 3-point range against an Eastern Michigan team as legitimately one of the worst defensive teams right now in all of college basketball. This was of note. Marshall, they take down Akron by a count of 68-57. to 57. Akron just kept coming up snake eyes. They went 24-71 of 71 from the floor, 5-25 of 25 from 3-point range. Enrique Freeman was able to give the team 10 points, 14 rebounds, and Marshall lost the turnover battle in this one. They lost the rebound battle, but you had Andrew Taylor put up 16 points, 10 rebounds, 6 assists. Davion Kinsey, he had 21 points. And Camden Kerfman, 5 of 11 from 3-point range. Marshall looking very solid to begin the season. They get the job done there. Purdue, no cover, but they take down Florida State, a Florida State team that's out 1-8. Fortunately, they were able to get their second cover of the year, 79-69, the final in this one. For Purdue, they go 22-31 of 31 at the free throw line, and for Florida State, they did have Darren Green be able to come out for 23 points, 4-7 of seven from 3-point range, Cameron Fletcher, 10 rebounds, but Zach Eady, giant of the earth, he still had himself a pretty solid game, 25 points, 8 rebounds, as Purdue, they were able to... Do a nice job on the glass, winning that battle 46-31. The Florida State, just eight turnovers in this game. So perhaps that's a little bit of a sign of life for the team, but man, it's still relatively rough for them. It's been really rough for the Big Ten in general in terms of the ACC Big Ten challenges. Miami, they got it done against Rutgers 68-61. Just a bad night in general for Cam Spencer as Paul Muke and Caleb McConnell return and McConnell off the bench. 16 points. He did have five turnovers, but four assists, six rebounds. But for Cam Spencer, one of 10 from the floor, in my opinion, that was the difference in the game because for Rutgers, they do a great job on the glass. They win that battle 41-28 to as no Chad Omir had 17 points, nine rebounds. He was able to do a nice job. And Jordan Miller, a double-double, 17 points, 10 rebounds. 
Miami, 6 of 18 from three-point range. Rutgers, 7 of 21 from distance. Just all about being able to put the biscuit in the basket as Cliff Amarui, along with Maywat Meg, were able to combine for 17 rebounds and 25 points, but for Rutgers, just not enough. If you took 35 with McNeese State, a little bit of a tough one here as Tennessee with a putback dunk at the end of regulation. They win 76 of 40 as for Tennessee, 11 of 29 from three-part range. Santiago Vescovi was able to deliver 16 points. And for McNeese, they got 2 of 17 from three-part range. They had 24 turnovers and 16 made buckets. Very, very sad showing there as Christian Schulmate was able to give the team 12 rebounds down low, but not so great there. Duke, they were able to win and cover against The Ohio State University. 81 to 72 the final. For Duke, they were able to get some nice performances down low as Kyle Filipowski. He just continues to be rock solid for this team. 16 points, 7 rebounds. You did have Ohio State do a better job on the offensive glass as they were able to get 12 offensive rebounds at key. 21 points, 3 blocks, 8 rebounds, but for Ohio State, 3 of 13 from 3 point range. Duke went 5 of 13, but Duke, they also got the whistle. 26 of 30 at the free throw line. They were making all the free throws that they were getting. Derek Royadad still not necessarily looking like himself. Just 5 points in this game, but certainly a interesting game and a good showing from Duke. It's been a rough year thus far for Harvard, but it was a good night for the Ivy League as they take down Holy Cross by a count of 72 to 38. Chris Ledlam, the guy that you really want to take out of, 18 points, 6 rebounds in this game, and for Holy Cross, ooh, they had 18 turnovers and 16 made field goals, and then out in the Ivy League as well, Yale's looking really good. Their lone loss came on the road by single digits against Colorado, 86 of 40. They dumped truck Howard, and Howard not living up to expectations. They had 16 turnovers and 18 made field goals. Steve Settle was able to give the team 14 points, but for Yale, the guy that has been doing it all season long didn't even have a big game. Matt Noling, just 8 points in this one as it was August Mahoney who was able to deliver 18 points. Just good overall depth with this Yale team. Love what I'm seeing out of them. Hartford is not going to go winless against D1 foes. They take down Fairleigh Dickinson 74-66, so yay, verily there. UMBC, 15 made threes in the first half, 21 overall for the game. They just sizzle against Coppin State, 109-82. I mean, for UMBC, they just could not miss. Jacob Onyeseth, 24 points. You had 22 points out of Colton Lawrence. They were able to just continue to put it in from three. And Sam Sessions, he did his part for compensate 22 points. Problem was, UMBC just was not missing on this night. You had the bracket bus and Bucknell Bison take down St. Francis. And Bucknell, up until this point, they had been playing a little bit more slowly. They cranked it up here, 89-65 to the final as they get Alex Timmerman going for a 14-14. 14, 14 points, 14 rebounds. So you have to like what you saw there, and you have to like what you saw out of Indiana State as well. Big two-point win over Drake on their home floor, 75-73. to Roman Penn, great name, 32 points. He was able to chip in their five boards, and yeah, Garrett Sturts be able to supply 13 rebounds as well, but for Indiana State, the by-committee approach, it took hold as you had Cameron Henry coupled with Robbie Avila combined for 30 points, 11 rebounds in this game. Indiana State, 11-31 from three, but 20-24 of 24 at the free throw line, and 
He did a nice job being able to overcome their 17 turnovers. Drake was able to do a solid job with that regard, but they stayed within themselves. They found a way to be able to get to the free throw line, and they were able to get the W. I'm able to do this right around 6.45 p.m. Pacific time, so we got a couple games that are in the balance. Iowa State currently trying to cover right around 24.5, up 17 with about four minutes remaining over North Dakota. Defense continues to be very rock solid with them. Offense, a little bit more of a work in progress, but I do like what I'm seeing out of them overall. Georgetown has been, well, getting lambasted by Texas Tech, although they are currently winning the second half as I do this, 62-52, to 52, as there was a point in which they were down 19 in the second half, so we shall see if they're going to be able to get that cover. And then we had Xavier outscore Southeast Louisiana in the first half of that game, 43-19, to 19, and I believe at one point it was 43-10. to 10. This is a Xavier team that they very much look for real right now. They were able to get another big performance out of Kobe Jones. He just continues to be so versatile for the team, so very much interested to see what happens there. And then... North Carolina and Indiana just getting going as I am doing this as well. But if you're looking at college basketball overall for the season, it has been a pretty solid season for unders as we've got quite a few games for Wednesday that are not included in on this. Uh, That'll be included tomorrow. But 574 unders to 536 overs. That is a 51.7% hit rate to the under. And games that end in regulation, 54% of them are going under. And favorites, they've been having a little bit of a rough COVID this year. Underdogs are 565. 539 and 20 against the spread at home underdogs. They're covering nearly 56% of the time. 154, 122, and 5 against the spread. And if you're looking at just the last week of college basketball, 149 unders, 139 overs. It feels like the overs are starting to have a little bit of a better time of it. And favorites and underdogs, 50-50 in this time span. 141, 141, and 8. So that's what we're seeing in college basketball right now. And that's what we got in college basketball on Wednesday. Now let's talk with our good friend Kevin Sweeney, who does amazing work over there at Sports Illustrated. We're going to be talking about perhaps a little bit of shooting regression for some of these teams. The big games that we're going to be seeing on Thursday and some of the teams that he has seen in person and impressed him. That's up next right here on Coast to Coast Hoops with myself, Craig Hoops Peterson, now a part of the Beeson Family Podcast. Hey guys, this is Matt Jones, Drew Franklin from the Fade This Podcast. We got a great episode coming up, picks in all the sports, football, basketball, we do them all, but here's a preview of this week's episode. Nothing to do with anyone personally, but Creighton is the team every year that the nerds you know, the basketball nerds. They're like, you know, it's really good. Creighton, you know, watch Creighton. They play. And I'm like, I don't want to watch Creighton because I agree with Shannon, the dude today. Creighton's never going to win anything. Stop talking to me about Creighton. They're not, never the, not, gonna, the, not the Big East tournament? Well, I mean, they could maybe they win the Big East tournament, but it'll only be luck. But, like, they're always like, you know, a sleeper team. That could, like that guy who I told you had eight title teams. One of his title teams was – Creighton is not winning the national championship. It's yeah, I don't not, have him doing that. that. Like, that's why do we all have to act like Creighton? Is a, is, a, is a good team. Creighton's like the band they all say you should know if you really knew bands. <laughs> and then they're never at any of those. And then they're never, yeah, exactly. And it comes time for the Grammys and they lose out to like, you know, Lil Durk. And you're like, see, I knew Lil Durk was better. Why are you, t- why are you telling me? You've seen the whole time. <laughs> and this episode was brought to you in partnership with DraftKings. To hear more, listen and subscribe to Fade This on iHeartRadio or wherever you listen to podcasts. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City. 
featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the Edge at Hudson Yards in New York City, featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. Are you ready to become a winning sports better? Schedule a call with SBIA to find out how their service can make you a long-term winning player. They've developed an innovative algorithm that maximizes units return, and they are so confident in their system that they offer a money-back guarantee. Sign up by October 31st and get their NBA package at no cost until they reach 10 net units. They treat sports betting like a business. So if you want to learn how to make your sports betting dreams a reality, visit them at SBIA1.com and check them out on social media at SBIA Sports. Las Vegas, Chris Kissing with myself, Greg Oop Spears, and now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. It is always great to be joined by our guys. We've got the one and only Kevin Sweeney aboard. He does amazing work over there at Sports Illustrated. My job that for those of you guys that like podcasts, much like this one, he does a great job with the CBB Central Podcast, which you're able to find that wherever you get your podcast, Apple Podcasts, Google Play, list goes on and on, and then it's taken in some. Very high-quality college basketball this season. I know that he was at that big Marquette versus Baylor game a couple days ago. I know he was taking in a lot of these multi-team events, especially the one out there in the lovely city of Pullman, Oregon, as well. And 
be able to follow my Twitter at TBB underscore Central altogether. Hey, Kevin, it's great to have you aboard. Thank you. Good to catch up as always, Greg. And it is always great to have you aboard. Thank you. And Kevin, just in terms of some of the great basketball that you've been seeing, because I mentioned it, you were out there in Milwaukee, Wisconsin a few days ago. You were out there at Portland. You've been all across the country in general. Just in the teams that you've seen up close and in person, who are the teams that have really left the biggest impression upon you thus far this season? Because I always think that taking a look at some of these teams on TV, it's a little bit different than actually seeing them up close and in person. I think the one team that really, really stood out was UConn, just because they just come across as so complete when watching you. I mean, Donovan Klingon, their backup center, he looks like he should be at Purdue. That level of gigantic kind of behemoth center who can dominate the rim at both ends. He was awesome. They're just so complete. They're athletic at every spot. They're very cohesive and together, which I think is huge. And that's a team that could compete for a Final Four, compete for maybe uh, a national championship if all breaks right. I was incredibly impressed. The versatility and the aggression that Marquette brought against Baylor was very impressive. That game was a drubbing and never really competitive. Marquette was excellent and Baylor was terrible. I just felt that the matchups that Marquette could create with their versatile forwards, Olivia Maxson's Prosper, and David Joplin really caused some problems for, for Baylor, and it really set the tone for the game. So those are the two that I was most impressed by. Purdue, certainly very, very impressive. Duke's size is very, very impressive in person. Two seven-footers on the floor oftentimes with Lively and Filipowski. But I just thought the, the, the cohesion and the competitiveness of both UConn and Marquette really, really flew off when you're watching it in person. And I'm so glad that you pointed out that Marquette versus Baylor game as well, because in that game, I was left saying that Marquette is a team that, in my opinion, has a very high ceiling and a bit of a low floor, because we may recall that game against Mississippi State right around a week and a half or so ago. They couldn't even get to 60 points in that game. The defense, honestly, looked halfway decent against the Mississippi State squad that said a tough time being able to throw it in from beyond the arc. But with Marquette, I feel like there's a little bit of volatility with this team and that if they're able to play the way that they did against Baylor, this is a team that can knock off Gardner or any ball, but they do leave themselves a little bit prone to upsets. I think that you just find that a lot with a team like a Marquette that is relying upon a lot of guys that are sort of sophomores trying to take that year number one to year number two jump. Yeah, I think that's part of it. I think the the biggest thing that I would kind of point to with them is so much of their offense is created by their defense, whether it's the energy that they create or it's the deflections of the turnovers that were so uh, so prevalent and such a problem against Baylor. And I think you see when Marquette's facing a team that's able to take care of the basketball a little better, that's able to control the game, it's going to be hard for them to score on the half court because Tyler Kolek's a really good passer, but he's not a great scorer. Cam Jones can really make shots, but if he's your best option offensively, I think you have some problems. They were able to do some things going smaller like with Omax and with Joplin that I think will be, they'll be able to translate over into half-court games moving forward. But I just don't think they're built necessarily to have a ton of success offensively in the half-court. They're going to be selling out for steals, selling out for deflections, and then trying to run off of those. And the Baylor game was the perfect example of, of, of a time when it worked swimmingly. But, you know, Mississippi State did a better job taking care of the basketball. They forced it into a rock fight. And when they were able to do that, they were able, they were able to get stops in the half-court I think you saw some of the limitations maybe that Marquette has offensively. Yeah, I do think that it's going to be fascinating to take a look at them moving forward as Kevin Sweeney does absolutely amazing work over at Sports Illustrated. He's joining me on the podcast. And I'm glad that you brought up UConn a little bit earlier because they are going to be in action on Thursday. They're going to be taking out Oklahoma State. Line is pretty much nine, and that if you need UConn to win by double digits to be able to get the covers, essentially what they're saying. And 
I really like what I'm seeing out of this Utah team, but I do think that Oklahoma State is going to be able to give them a test. I think that they're going to be able to hold with these single digits in this game because I do feel like with UConn, they are the far superior offensive team. I think that we would agree upon that, especially Adama Sadogo. This guy is just absolutely incredible. But I take a look at this Oklahoma State team, and they are one of the best defensive teams in all of college basketball. Now, we've seen sort of fair floor as well when they lost that game to Southern Illinois on their home floor, but you know that night in, night out, that defense is going to travel with Oklahoma State. The question is, are they going to be able to find a little bit more jump shooting outside of someone like a Caleb Asbury? Without question, I think this game, its script looks very similar to the Iowa State game that UConn played in the championship. Another Big Ten team, they do things a little bit differently, but essentially, like, Oklahoma State wants to make this thing messy. They want to force turnovers. They want to take UConn out of their rhythm. They're going to be physical, and then they're going to hope that they can make enough jump shots to hang in. Iowa State really couldn't produce offense, but I do think Oklahoma State has better guards. Like, I think Avery Anderson and Bryce Thompson, John Michael Wright, I think that group is a little bit better than the guys Iowa State's trotting out with Taman Lipsy and Jaron Holmes, Gabe Kalsher. And I also think that there's some some positive regression coming from a shooting standpoint with guys like Bryce Thompson and Avery Anderson. Those guys aren't as bad as shooters as they've shown so far this season. So I I wouldn't want to bet against this UConn team right now just because of how well that they're playing. But I look at that spot and I say, okay, UConn feeling themselves on top of the world after a great weekend. Oklahoma State maybe a little bit more rested. They're going to defend. This could easily be a very a grinded out game and very competitive late. I'm so glad that you brought up the three-point shooting regression slash progression of Oklahoma State as well, because I think that that's a big thing to take a look at this time of year, because we're going to be doing this as this game has went final, but North Carolina versus Indiana. I like North Carolina in that game just because are they as good of a three-point shooting team as they showed in the NCAA tournament? No, they were getting absolutely everything to go, but I'm convinced that they're not a 30.8% three-point shooting team as well. A team like in Arizona is going to be going up against Utah on Thursday. They're a really good shooting team. They aren't going to continue to shoot, though, north of 60% from the field and 46% from three. How much do you take a look at that as well? Because when you get down to it with these teams playing six, seven, eight games to begin the season, I think that there are some things that you're able to take away. You're able to take away the fact that Arizona, no doubt, is going to be an efficient offense. But I also do think that with this small of a sample size, you need to sort of keep things in reality and you need to keep things sort of tempered in terms of expectations that not expect things like Virginia to continue to shoot 45 plus percent from three-point range as well. There's certainly a regression monster coming for, for a lot of teams. I do look at it. I look a little bit more at it actually defensively. There are certain teams that aren't as bad as they look right now because of the way teams are shooting the ball against them from deep and at the free throw line. That's another thing you kind of look at it. Like maybe they've been a little bit unlucky. Like Villanova, for instance, is a great example. Villanova's two-point defense is not very good. Two-point defense, that's an indicator like they're getting, letting teams get to the rim. That's a scary thing for me. I don't think this Villanova team is very good. But Villanova is not as bad defensively as they've looked because teams are not going to keep shooting 38% from three this season against them. Like, that's not a number that's sustainable or will stick with a team that is relatively well coached defensively, that has multiple guys who can be high level defenders, right? Like, Kyle Neptune was a top 50 defense last year in Ken Palm. Like, the idea that they're going to fall off a cliff defensively and it's going to be because teams are making threes on them just doesn't really add up. I'm looking at it more from that angle than, oh, this team's going to go cold one day because I don't want to be on the wrong side of that. But it's definitely something to look at. Because big enough sample size to look at, but not big enough sample size to call everything fact. I think that that's such a good point that you bring up on that front as well. I do think that it's really strange and really interesting that we've got some conference games that are going down. We've got the Metro Atlantic playing some conference games. 
You got the Pac-12 playing conference games. The Horizon League is, and I believe that the Missouri Valley Conference is the other team that, or the other conference that is going to be playing some conference games as well. What do you just make out of a lot of these in general? Because I do take a look at it. I feel like there might be just a little bit less fire in terms of the game, like UCLA versus Stanford in December 1st, rather than if these teams were meeting up in January slash February after winter break. I do think that that phone's a little bit better for teams going on their own. I'm not sure if you've got any thoughts here, but I always do think that it is very strange when you see these very early conference games in late November slash early December. I think it probably, I think you feel that more at the high major level than the mid-major. I think at mid-majors, there's kind of an understanding, like, this, this is our season. This is what matters. I don't think you have to consider, like, it's tougher to play a conference game on December 1st when students are on campus than on January 10th when they aren't. I think that's something that, that probably matters a little bit, but I don't know that there's like a huge trend either way. And so, oh yeah, it's easier to bet a road team in this spot. You know, maybe there's a little more unpredictability. I don't know that I've seen that. I'd have to look more in depth. At the end of the day, we're still learning about a lot of these teams and conference plays are the first opportunity where you face a team that's a little more familiar with you. And if anything, that's the thing I would be looking at is are there teams that maybe on paper, it looks like it could be pretty one-sided, but if one of the teams is a little bit more familiar with the style of play and they've done the prep on, on the team from last year, maybe there's an opportunity to hang around more than you would have otherwise. That'd be the only thing I'd really be looking at. I do think that it's always very strange to take a look at. There's very many dynamics that I'm glad that you brought up the winter break factor as well, because in early January, especially that first week of January, darn near everyone is off. I remember back at UW Oshkosh, we used to have an interim period, and I was like one of the five people that decided that way I would take the class, so that way I could graduate in four years and save some money. Yes, we've got Kevin Sweeney, who does great work over there at Sports Illustrated, joining me on the podcast. And in terms of those conference games that we are going to be seeing on Thursday, is there one or two that really stuck out to you? Because I do think that the Pac-12 games are very fascinating, especially the one involving Washington State and Oregon. That is one that I got started because I do want to see a little bit more of both of these teams that Washington State. They've been a little bit banged up this season themselves. But is there any of those conference games that really jump out to you and that you just either want to see a little bit more out of one of these teams or you think there might be a little bit of a breakout team in one of them? I'm excited about Arizona State-Colorado. Two teams that have been very volatile, right? I mean, maybe no one more volatile than Colorado. And obviously Arizona State had a great win against Michigan, but the horrible loss to Texas Southern. I'm just curious where these teams stand. It's added controversy over Marcus Bagley's status at Arizona State that is not the thing you want when you're finally kind of trending in the right direction. Arizona State's been a monster defensively. I'm not sure that's something that will stick. So that's a result that I don't know how much we'll learn from because I still don't know if either team's any good, but it's an important game because there's room for upward mobility in the Pac-12. There's there's an opportunity for a team like an Arizona State or a Colorado to get up into the top three to five in this conference. And getting a win early, that, that, that could really help set the tone for conference play. And then I've got to ask you about the big one up Thursday as well. Great versus Texas. This, in my opinion, is going to be a tremendous one as Texas. They've been so good with their defense this year. It feels like Tyrese Hunter and Marcus Carr are on the same page, which is just so critical for the Texas team. Meanwhile, great. After they were down with their three-point shooting last season, they have really been on an upward trajectory, shooting over 40% for three. And really the biggest takeaway for me, and I'm sitting slide between six and a half and seven, I think Ukraine is going to be on the cover. And the biggest reason why is because Ryan Demarby was pretty much a walking turnover last season. Didn't do the world's greatest job of taking care of the ball. He has done a significantly better job on that front as well. I'm not sure what you take out of this game, but I think that this is going to be a battle. I think the both teams 
who are two of the best in all of college basketball, they're going to be able to step up with their defense. I do think that the experience of Texas in the end is going to be able to pull this out barely, but I think that this is going to be a close game that is going to be tight throughout. I'm excited to see Texas tested again. Really, only the second time all year that they've played a high-level game. The first one was against the Gonzaga team that, while very good, has shown issues defensively over and over. And so while Texas looked really good on offense, they moved it well from side to side. They shot it much better from three in that game. The shooting outside of that ball game for Texas has not been very good from beyond the arc. I'm very curious to see how the offense flows against a team that has a great rim protector in Ryan Kalkbrenner that is long and athletic at pretty much every spot other than Nempard at the point, who is a fine defender. He's just not very big. He can match up with a guy like Hunter or even Marcus Carr. So I'm really excited. I think it could go either way. I think for Texas to win this game, it's going to have to be a kind of vintage beard defensive effort just because of the way that they play. I think it's going to be really hard to go into that environment if you're Creighton and win. I just think Chris Beard's done such a good job of creating that energy around the program that wasn't there under previous coaches. I totally agree with you. I think that Chris Beard has really been able to get things online here in season number two. was a little bit of sledding last season, but that's going to happen when you've got a whole bunch of players entering by the transfer portal. And something that I always get excited for is you joining this podcast, Kevin, because you do absolutely amazing work over there at Sports Illustrated. I alluded to it a little bit earlier. You've done an incredible job taking a look at just so many of these games in person, being able to take it all in. You're a wealth of knowledge, wealth of good people at home. No, they're able to follow you on social media and just what's on after you. Yeah, finally a little bit of a break after a game-heavy stretch for me, but I will be back out there soon enough covering games. And in the meantime, follow me on Twitter at CBB underscore Central. I try to give takes whenever I'm watching ball and kind of keep track of my, my journeys across the U.S. watching hoops. So nothing better. Appreciate you having me, Greg. I always appreciate you, my friend. And- if you ever come out to Lovey, Las Vegas, I've got a beer advent calendar that is starting up today. I will save you one of those. So you are always covered whenever you come out to Lovey, Las Vegas. And Kevin always has us covered on this podcast. Taking a look at the great game of college basketball. Big thanks to him and all the great work that he does at Sports Illustrated. He joined me right here on Coast Coast Hoops, now part of the Beeson Family Podcast. And coming up next, it is that time of the podcast. He give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Thursday as we hit the pitch. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. 
But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required, accessed from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com stereo right now. NetSuite.com stereo. NetSuite.com stereo. Witness the dawning of a new era in automotive luxury with a reveal unlike any other as Infinity presents a new chapter in luxury, the premiere of the all-new 2025 Infinity QX80. Join us March 20th live from the edge at Hudson Yards in New York City featuring an unforgettable performance by Grammy and Academy Award-winning singer, songwriter, and composer, John Batiste. The all-new Infiniti QX80 is unlike any luxury SUV you've ever seen. Smart enough to anticipate your needs, even before you do. Every line, curve, and detail was thoughtfully crafted, so everything for every passenger feels just right. Don't miss it. Mark your calendars and be the first to see it March 20th at 7 p.m. Eastern, only on iHeartRadio's YouTube channel. Save the date at new-qx80.com. 2025 QX80 coming this summer. Okay, quick math. The less your business spends on operations, on multiple systems, on delivering your product or service, 
the more margin you have and the more money you keep. Obvious. But with higher expenses on materials, employees, distribution, and borrowing, everything costs more. So to reduce costs and headaches, smart businesses are graduating to NetSuite by Oracle. NetSuite is the number one cloud financial system, bringing accounting, financial management, inventory, HR into one platform with one source of truth. With NetSuite, you reduce IT costs because NetSuite lives in the cloud with no hardware required. Access from anywhere. You cut the cost of maintaining multiple systems because you've got one unified business management suite. And you're improving efficiency by bringing all your major business processes into one platform, slashing manual tasks and errors. Over 37,000 companies have already made the move. So do the math. See how you'll profit with NetSuite. Now through April 15th, NetSuite is offering a one-of-a-kind flexible financing program. Head to NetSuite.com slash stereo right now. NetSuite.com slash stereo. NetSuite.com slash stereo. And we're back here in Las Vegas for Girls Kiss Hoops with myself, Greg Hoops Spears. And now, part of the Easton Family Podcast, it's always a pleasure to get our good friend Kevin Sweeney aboard. He does amazing work over at Sports Illustrated, taking a look at the great game that we love and does a nice job taking a look at just every team in college basketball. He had his rankings 1 through 363 to begin the season. It is always a pleasure to get him aboard. Big thanks to him. Now it is that time the podcast to give you picks and analysis on every game on the betting board for this college basketball Thursday as we hit some bank shots. Most financial establishments close at a certain time, but not here. It is time for a side and total on every game on today's betting board bank shots. Do note that as per usual, any changes that are made to these plays will be listed up on my Twitter feed at GUnit underscore 81. We're going to be going in Las Vegas rotation order. This is where we go with the games with three digits on the board first. And then the games with six digits, these involve smaller conferences. This includes the Southland. It also includes, well, Independence with Chicago State, the SWAC. You've also got the Big South, and I think that that covers all the ones that we're going to be seeing for today. So let's begin with 741-742 on the betting board. It is Oklahoma State, and they are on the road facing up against UConn. UConn, can they do it? They are 9.5 point favorites, and your total on this game is 138.5. I think we've went a little bit too far with this. I set my number at 8.5, and Jersey total, I also set mine at a 138.5. This did open at some places more around a 137 to a 137.5. And at that number, I'd be taking a look at the over. At 138.5, just a wait and see mode. If it goes up to like 139, 140, I'd be looking at the under. More around 137.5, 138, I'd be taking a look at this total over. So, all depends upon what we get there. But when it comes to Oklahoma State, I think the big key for them is just continuing to lock down on defense. As I do think that they've got the best defender in this game. Musa Cisse, 10 points, 10.5 boards, 3.5 blocks per contest. Man is a menace down low. Oklahoma State's big bugaboo. They shoot 29.5% from three-point range. Bryce Thompson, Avery Anderson, the third. They're combining for about 23.5 points, 8 boards, 5.5 assists. I mean, they do an okay job, but they combine to shoot about 23% from three-point range. They've been without Woody Newton throughout much of the season. Caleb Asbury, who comes in from Texas State, he's been able to shoot 36.5% from three, and he, Caleb Boone, and then you're able to throw in there a younger guy in John Michael Wright that comes in for high point. They all shoot north of 90% of the free throw line, but as a collective, they shoot more like 70%, so that's not great. Meanwhile, for UConn, this team does have all the goods with Adama Sinogo making things a go-go. 18.5 points, 7 boards. It's one of my favorite phrases, by the way. He's shooting 50% from 3 for a UConn bunch at they're shooting 37% from distance. Love what they did in the offseason, bringing in Joy Calcaterra, Tristan Newton. These two guys are combining for about 21.5 points per contest. Newton is able to give you about 4.5 assists per game. 
Mickey Molina has been able to be a little bit of a background scorer. And then Asan Diaria. It's not like he scores a lot. He only gives you four points per game, but three and a half assists. He's able to chip in there a few rebounds. Andre 3,000. Jackson missed a little bit of time. He's working his way back. Five and a half rebounds. Last year was a solid three-point shooter, but Oklahoma State, one of the most tough-nosed defenses in all of college basketball. Both of these teams very good on defense, but both of these teams do play at a top 100 tempo as well. So I did something I told at 138.5. We get back down to like 137.5, 138. We'll be looking at the over end. With UConn made them an 8.5 point favorite, so we'll only take 9.5 with Oklahoma State. 743-744 on the board. Youngstown State is on the road facing off against Northern Kentucky. The Norris are between a 1 and 1.5 and point home underdog. So I was saying we're between 140.5 and, and 142. I did set my total at 143. Northern Kentucky, one of the slower teams in all of college basketball. But Youngstown State, a top 50 team in terms of points scored on a per possession basis. Defense has been, shall we say, lackadaisical, but this is a big-time revenge spot for Adrian Nelson, who spent the last few seasons at Northern Kentucky. He never shot threes at Northern Kentucky. He's making 46% of his triples this season, 14.4 points, a steal, and 10 rebounds per game. He has been tremendous, but behind him, you've got Malik Green, Dwayne Coel combining for 28 points. Green is able to give you six and a half boards. Coel shoots 50% from three. Brandon Rush is making 39% of his triples. He chips in there 11 points. You're able to get some facilitation out of Bryce McBride. Seven points, two and a half assists, steal per game. I mean, this is a really well-rounded Youngstown State team. And then for the Norse, just all about what you're going to be able to get out of Marquise Warwick, who's coming off of a 45-point just blazer of a performance against Tennessee Tech. He's averaging 21 and a half points per game, shooting 38%. From three-point range. Down low, Chris Brandon. 12 and a half rebounds per game. That's in the top five in all of college basketball. you got a North team, though, that shit 63% at the free throw line. Despite playing slowly, they turn the ball over 13 times per game now. They're able to create offense with their defense as well. 9.3 steals per game. Work who I mentioned before. Zam Vincent along with Xavier Rhodes in the backcourt. All these guys are giving you at least two steals per contest, but Xavier Rhodes missed the team's last game against Tennessee Tech. So did Sam Vincent. This is a little bit of a North team that is dealing with some ailments. That means that you need Trayvon Faulkner been able to give the team eight points per contest well below his career averages to be able to step up and I just don't know if they're going to be able to do so ailments with Northern Kentucky as I'm a little bit limited that is going to be hurting their defense very much and that plays right in the hands of Youngstown State as a result set Youngstown State is a three-point favorite I'm going to be willing to lay the small number with them set by total 143 I think this game comes down to late game felling and that does not bode well for the North so looking at the over and I am looking to lay it with Youngstown State 745 746 on the betting board it is Cornell and Cornell is going to be on the road facing up against Delaware. The Blue Ends are between a 3.5 and a 4-point home favorite. Total is saying we're between 151.5 and 152. I set my total at a 151.5. So here at the 152, I'm willing to dive under with Delaware. A little bit of a controlled team, right around 200th in the country in terms of possessions per game. They have been able to do a solid job on offense, 70 plus points in four out of their last five games, but it's not like they're really looking to push tempo as Jameer Nelson Jr. has become Mr. Do-It-All for the team. 19 points, 4.5 boards, 3 assists, shooting in the mid-30s from three-point range. At least 17 points in four out of the team's last five games, and it's cut down on the turnovers. The combined four turnovers in the last three games for Cornell. The team has done a good job of pickpocketing 10 steals per game. You got a pair of guys in Greg Dolan and Chris Mannon who are combining for a little bit over four steals per contest. And Dolan, we're going to see regression here, but he's shooting 56% from three, 13 points, five and a half boards per game. But that's where Cornell could be at. They are not necessarily too strong down low as Dolan is five and a half rebounds per game. That leads the way. And Christian Ray, he has been a ray of sunshine for this bunch for Delaware as he's been able to give the team right around 11 and a half rebounds per game. Been able to have 
a good performance out of Jair Davis begin the season as well. He's been able to contribute 16 points, four boards, two and a half assists per game. Not necessarily shooting from three to great, but that said, he's able to do a nice job down low. LJ Owens, who comes in from UMBC, he's been able to give this team 10 points per game as well. I really looked at E.B. Asamoah, who last season shot 39% from three with seven points per contest to be able to up his game a little bit. And for Cornell, just a case in which the hole is greater than some of its parts. Guys like a Keller Boothby, Nazir Williams, you're able to throw in there even Sean Hansen. These are a trio of guys who are combining the average about 30 points, 12 rebounds, about 6 assists. They all shoot in the mid-30s from 3-point range. You don't have that one guy that's going to come out there and just light things ablaze, but you've pretty much got a relatively equal 8-man rotation with Dolan being the head of the sink for this team. But for Cornell, 16 turnovers per game. I do think that that's going to be costly, and I think that Delaware wins the battle on the glass. Set Delaware as a result as a 7.5-point favorite. Want to lay the number. Semi-Dolan, 151 and a half, so 152 or greater. Going to be going under despite Cornell being one of the more rapid teams in all of college basketball. 747, 748 on the banging board. St. Peter's is going to be playing us to Mount St. Mary's. The amount is between a three and three and a half point underdog. So this game is saying we're doing 129 and a half and 130. I said Loyola Marymount as a one point favorite. So I'm going to be taking them on the money line with Loyola Marymount. They've got a lot of guys that are coming back and they've got the best guard in this game. And that would be Jalen Benjamin. Benjamin has been absolutely tremendous for this team as he's been able to light things up with just under 18 points per contest. He's able to give you multiple assists per game. I really like what he's been able to do with this team. And then for St. Peter's, just a little bit of a new look bunch in general. And by the way, this is a Metro Atlantic Conference game. Very strange to see conference games this time of year. But for St. Peter's, Jalen Murray is one of the only guys that returns from last year's team along with Isaiah Dasher. Murray has been able to give you 15 points per game. He's not going to continue to shoot 50% from three, but he's shooting 50% from three, 88% the free throw line. Dasher, right around nine and a half points per game. But you've got one guy in this team that averages really more than 5.7 rebounds per game, been able to get six points and... 5.8 rebounds per game out of Latrell Reed, who comes in from a little bit of a non-D1 level from a few seasons ago. You bring in the compensate transfer and Kyle Kardaki, who was last season at compensate, averaging right around 8 points per game. He's averaging 6 points on 35% 3-point shooting this year. And for the Peacocks, they still do a relatively solid job on defense. They will get a block per contest out of freshman Corey Washington, but I take a look at Mount St. Mary's and having Malik Jefferson down low giving you eight boards. He's going to be the best low post presence in this game. George Hinsley comes in for Binghamton. He just does it all. Six half points, six boards, 1.4 blocks, 1.4 seals per game. He's able to pop threes. You probably are going to need a little bit more out of Josh Reeves and DeAndre Thomas. These two guys are combining to give you 10.5 points per game. Both of these guys throughout their career have been decent three-point shooters, but with this Mount St. Mary's team, they're looking to push Temple a little bit more. They're going up against a St. Peter's team that they bring in Bashir Mason, and he always does a good job of being able to coach up hard-nosed defense, but I do think that having Benjamin out in that backcourt, that is going to be the difference in this game as a result. I did set the Mount as a one-point favorite, willing to take them as a money-line underdog. Somebody told 133.5. St. Peter's continuing to play slow, good defense, but the Mount, they've actually looked to go a little bit more up-tempo this year, and I do think that they are going to be able to get their style a little bit more against the Peacock. So, looking at the over and the Mount on the money line. Some 49, some 50 on the betting board. Right State hopes to be the right side as they play us to Robert Morris. Good old Bobby Morris is between an 11 and 11.5 point underdog. Total saying we're team 142.5 and 143.5. I set this line at 12. I'm going to be willing to lay it with this Wright State team because with Wright State, for one, once again, another one of these strange conference games that we've seen pop up, but with Robert Morris, they're currently without the guy that is just leading this team in darn near every category, and that would be Anoch Cheeks. 
Cheeks, 17 points, 4 boards, 3 assists, shooting 52% from 3, but missed the team's last few games, and that is bad, considering he also gives the team 2 blocks and 2 steals per contest. He literally does it all. And then you've got Josh Corbin along with Khalil Spear. These two guys have been able to combine for 26 points. Spear, really the main guy down low for this team. He's been able to give the team 8.5 rebounds per game. You do have Safat Walker also contributing 6.5 rebounds per game. Nobody else on the roster contributes at least 3 rebounds per game. So that is a bit of an issue. Corbin has been able to shoot 46% from 3 for Robert Morris' team that shoots 36.5% from 3 and 62% at the free throw line. One of these is an outlier, and I'm pretty sure it's a 3-point shooting. Meanwhile, for Wright State, Trey Kelvin, he has been Mr. Do-It-All. 19 points, 6 assists, steal per game, shooting 92% at the free throw line. Now, Wright State also shooting 35.5% from 3 and 65.5% at the free throw line, but Amari Davis, so he does not really pop threes at all. Does a nice job getting to the cup, 14 points, 2 assists, 1.3 steals per game, and Tim Finke has become a nice Do-It-All player as well, as he's able to contribute 2 steals, 8.5 points, 6 boards, Wright State, not necessarily the world's deepest team, but they've been able to find a little bit of something out of Alex Hybregiste. Hopefully I'm saying that correctly. He's from Grafton, Wisconsin, and he's been able to do a nice job down low, giving the team eight points. Nice little versatile player that's been able to shoot 47% from three-point range. Robert Morris having cheeks currently uh, with an injury that just completely kills him, in my opinion. Wright State, I made as a 12-point favorite, and if cheeks were in, this would probably cause for a three-point line, in my opinion. Semi-total at a 141, Wright State still a little bit more of an up-tempo team, but Robert Morris, they've been one of the most pedestrian offenses in all of college basketball, even with cheeks in the fold, so looking at the under and looking to lay it with Wright State. We go 751, 752, and this is going to be by DK Nation pick, as it is Creighton on the road facing off against Texas. Texas is back to being anywhere between a 6.5 to a 7.5 point favorite. Total is anywhere between 139 and 140. DK Nation write-up. That is going to be on the total, and we are going to be going under in this circumstance. You've got a Texas team that is playing at one of the slowest paces in all of college basketball. They are not quite at the level that we've seen from Virginia in the past, but you know what? They are not far from it, and Creighton is a little bit elevated in terms of their tempo because they play a game against Arizona. Arizona, the number one team in the country in terms of total possessions per game, and yet they still rank 178th as well. You can tell that they're playing significantly more slowly. They seem to be allowing teams to sort of dictate their tempo. Texas last season was, I believe, in the bottom 20 in terms of possessions per game. They've been a tad bit faster this season. A lot of that is just due to the fact that they've been in blowout games. So I do think that this is going to be a game that slowed down, but both of these teams, two of the most efficient in all of college basketball. Both of these teams do a very good job of being able to guard the three-point arc as well. And for Texas, this is not necessarily the world's greatest three-point shooting team. Creighton is not either. I'll get to that in a minute. But Texas, they're shooting 30% from three. Each other top three scores. They do shoot at least 36% from three. Tyrese Hunter, Marcus Carr, and Serge Jabari Rice. So I certainly do think that Hunter, after he shot more in the neighbor, about 25% from three, you should see some regression from that. Hunter has been terrific. He and Marcus Carr, a combined 31 points, six assists, Cars able to give you two and a half steals per game. They've really cut down on the turnovers as well. Serge Jabari, Rice, 11 and a half points, three and a half assists. He has been terrific as well. And then from there, it's just mix and match. You've got someone like a Dylan Mitchell, who's been able to do a solid job with seven and a half points, six and a half rebounds per game. Dylan DeSue, nine points, four boards, pops and threes. Timmy Allen, six and a half rebounds, two and a half assists per game. Hole is greater than the sum of its parts approach. And then with Creighton, this team has done a nice job guarding the arc, but they themselves, they're shooting 38% from three. Last year, they shot more around 32% from three, as you've got 
four out of your top five scores, shooting a sizzling 42% from three or better. This is not going to last, especially not seven-footer Ryan Kalkbrenner. And I like Ryan Kalkbrenner. 16 points, six half boards, 1.6 blocks per contest as a seven-footer. That three-point shooting percentage is going to be going a little bit downward. You have to love the way that Ryan Nemard has stepped up for this team as well. Last season, he was walking turnover. 12.5 points, 5.5 assists, 1.3 turnovers per game as well. And Crane there only turned the ball over right around 10 times per contest, but... I do think that the stifling defense that we're going to see of Texas is going to take a little bit out of them. Bringing in Baylor Shireman has been terrific. 12 points, 9 boards, 2.5 assists. He's shooting 44% from 3 after starring at South Dakota State last season. Trey Alexander is able to give you 5 boards, 2 assists, 12.5 points per game. So I do think that Creighton has all the goods to be able to hang in this game. I could only make them a 6-point underdog, so I am going to be looking at the points. But you've got two very dominant defenses. Two teams that I think have star players that are doing for regression from 3-point range. So my DK Nation write-up. It is going to be in on the under. I think both of these teams just really bear down on that side of things. And I do think that Creighton keeps this relatively close. I'm willing to take the points with Creighton, set them as a six-point underdog. Maybe my total 134. So my DK Nation write-up, that is centered around this total under. 753, 754 on the betting board. It is Oakland. They hit the road face off against Cleveland State. The Vikings are a five and a half point favorite. Your totals anywhere between 137 and 138. With Cleveland State, I set them as a four point favorite. I'm going to be willing to take the points. Have not really been impressed by either team. And for Cleveland State, it's been pedestrian offense. For Oakland, it's been literally being at a point last week the least efficient defense in all of college basketball. But with this Oakland team, you know that you're going to be able to get buckets. Now, Rocket Watts. Proving to be a big, giant bust once again. I don't know why anyone was high on this guy. I mean, 7.5 points per game. He has been relegated to the bench at this point. Last two games, he has seen action in. A combined 27 minutes for as many points as Greg Peterson with two turnovers. I mean, it's just really sad to see what he has become. But you do have Trey Townsend. 17 points, 6.5 boards, block per contest, shooting 40% from three. This is going to go downward, but Keaton Harvey is shooting 48% from three with 14.7.5 boards. Justin Moore has been the best facilitator in college basketball the last few years in terms of total assists. Turnovers leave something to be desired with four turnovers, but 12.6 assists per game out of him. Heck, you've got 47% three-point shooting out of Osei Price, but then you do take a look at Cleveland State, and I do think that they should be able to win the battle down low as you've been able to have some relatively good performances out of Deontay Johnson. Eight half points, five rebounds per game after he averaged more like seven last season. Deshaun Parker has become a very good pass first point guard. Nine and a half points, six assists, four boards per game, and it's not really turned the ball over a lot. Cleveland State, 12 and a half turnovers as a collective, and then Tristan and Arana has been very good coming in from Iowa State with 13 points, seven and a half boards. Not necessarily popping threes. Well, Cleveland State, they're shooting 32% from three. The good news is they face off against an Oakland team that provides less defense than Casper the friendly ghost in terms of the three-pointer. Now, it's been a bad year for Oakland on the spread. I believe that they are currently 0-7, depending upon your closing numbers. But I do think that the market has overcorrected a little bit, have not been overly impressed by this Cleveland State team. I do think that Cleveland State gets a win outright, both Oakland. Now we're finally catching some points with them. Now we're finally getting a bit more of a respectable number. And I do think that this is going to be very much an up-tempo game. Ever since Cleveland State lost to Notre Dame College, that is the non-D1 Notre Dame, to begin the season, they've been looking quite a bit more respectable. But Cleveland State, they've been in some rock fights themselves. They've been able to break that 70-point plateau, really 
three times this season. They have gotten to pass 71 just once, but I think that with Oakland, a team has given up pretty much 76 or more all season long. They are going to see that go upward, and I do think that it's going to cause for a little bit of a nip and duck game, as I think that Cleveland State is a more well-rounded unit, but I think you've got more talent with Oakland set this line at four as a result. We'll only take five and a half with Oakland set my total at 150, so also going over as we go 755, 756 on the bang board. Manhattan is going to be playing us a fair field. The Stags are between a two to two and a half point favorite Total is anywhere between 129.5 and 130.5. Fairfield is a team I said as a 3.5 point favorite. Another one of these strange conference games, but for the Stags, they do a very solid job with their defense first, very, very slow approach as they bring in Caleb Fields, who has been a rock solid since coming in from Bowling Green. 14.5 points, 2 assists, shooting 38.5% from 3-point range with at least 11 points in 4 out of the team's last 5 games. Has done a nice job of not turning it over as well. So he's given the team just 3 turnovers over the last 3 games. And then Supreme Cook down low, 12 points, 6 half boards. You'd love what he's able to bring to the table for a Fairfield team that they're shooting just 29% from 3-point range. So they certainly do need it, and you've got a Manhattan Jasper's team that they were expected to have Jose Perez coming into the season. Omar Silverio. These guys, they decided, you know what, we're going to leave because our coach got canned two weeks before the start of the season. And that has led to some disjointedness and really a lack of depth in general for this Manhattan team. Nick Brennan is not someone that I thought was going to be seeing a whole bunch of minutes after he was averaging right around 15 minutes per contest last season. He's been elevated to being a starter. He's averaging like 8.5 points on 33% three-point shooting this season. You've got Josh Roberts, who's been terrific down low. 16 points, 9.5 boards, seal per game, 2.5 blocks, so you love what he's able to bring to the table. Samir Stewart is just getting back into the fold for this team, but Ant Nelson, the guy is a walking turnover. He and Elijah Buchanan, six turnovers per game. Buchanan, though, shooting 44% from three, 11.5 points. Nelson is able to give you four and a half assists and 12.5 points per game, but it's Manhattan team. They're having a tough time playing a lot of defense, and that is the specialty of Fairfield, so it's a good old situation of something's got to give. I do think that Fairfield is going to be able to win that battle down low. The disjointedness of Manhattan and them just creating stupid mistakes. 15.5 turnovers per game, shooting 62% of the free line. That is going to cost them against a well Coach Jay Wright team. I did said as a result, Fairfield as a three and a half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay it. And with this total, I do think that there's going to be some late game felling. I do think the Manhattan going to be playing a little bit more up tempo. Sub by 12, 133. So going over to go along with Fairfield. 757, 758 on the banking board. It is Detroit. They're on the road facing off against IPFW. Fort Wayne, aka IPFW, is anywhere between a five and a five and a half point favorite. Your total is anywhere between 143 and 144 and a half. I set my line at five and a half. So Five is the maximum that I'm willing to lay with IPFW, but I'm going to be willing to lay the number for Detroit. It's just all about what are you going to be able to get out of Antoine Davis. One of the top scorers in all of college basketball. 23.5 points, 3.5 boards, 3.6 assists, shooting 39% from three with a steal per contest. He had just 15 points in that game against Washington State, but really past that, he has been able to give the team now 22 plus points in five out of their last six matchups, so he's been able to do a great job with that regard, but it's all about what are you going to be able to get around him. He's been able to get some help from Jaden Stone along with Jordan Phillips. He combined 26 points, 10 and a half rebounds, and these two guys are combining to shoot darn near 50% from three-point range. Detroit as a whole. They shoot 40% from three. Detroit, they're back in the bottom 50 in terms of possessions per game. Highly efficient on offense. Highly inefficient on defense. And then you've got a Purdue-Fort Wayne team that they're big bugaboo turnovers. 15 turnovers per game. The reason why they turn it over so much is because they're looking for efficient three-point shots. As you've got Bobby Plantis, Deontay Billups, and Quentin Morton-Robinson all shooting at least 42.5% from three-point range. Billups and Plantis, 
Maybe they would combine for about 26 points, 10.5 rebounds per game, and then Quentin Morton Robinson does really nothing but shoot threes, but they would give the team 9 points per game. Well, being able to shoot a good clip from three, you've got Jared Goffrey, Mr. Do-It-All, 14 points, 5 boards, 4.5 assists, 2.2 steals per game. At Purdue-Fort Wayne, they're able to give you right around 9 steals per game as well. I do think that Detroit is going to be able to do a solid job of being able to take care of the ball, but I do think that Ari Capati, who's been able to give this Purdue-Fort Wayne team right around 6.5 rebounds per game, he's going to be able to win the battle down low to Benzie Anderson. Six foot seven combo player that comes in from Indiana in at points, three and at boards. As we saw, a former four star recruit, but you don't have a lot of depth with Detroit. Fort Wayne, they're able to give you more looks. They've got a little bit more in terms of just guys that come in off the bench and drain threes. I do think that this is going to be a little bit more of an under control game. I do think that Detroit going up against a Fort Wayne team that really doesn't gun it too much, they're going to be able to get back on defense a tad bit more. So I did set my total at 136F. I'm looking under and with Fort Wayne willing to lay up to five with them. Sub 59, sub 60 on the betting board. It is Murray State. They are going to be playing against Illinois State. Illinois State is between a 12 and 13 point underdog with your total between 134 and 135. I made Murray State just a nine point favorite. I feel like Murray State's numbers have gotten a little bit out of whack after what we saw from them in South Carolina a few weeks ago. And when it comes to Illinois State, no question about it. The backcourt, it leaves a lot to be desired. But also with this Illinois State team, they do a very solid job down low. As they've got Kendall Lewis, who's become Mr. Do-It-All. 12.5 points, 8.5 boards, six foot eight gentlemen that last year shot 37.5% from three. This year, that's down to more like 22% from three. But a block and a half and a seal and a half per game as well. Darius Perford, who comes in from Elon, has been able to give you two and a half assists per game. And Illinois State has some legitimate talent. You bring in someone like a Luke Kazabuke, who is playing at Kansas State, six and a half points per game. He's able to drill 40% of his threes. Seneca Knight, who was the top scorer at San Jose State a few seasons ago, 38.5% three-point shooter, eight and a half points, six rebounds per game. Malachi Poindexter began his career at Virginia, seven points per game. Colton Sandage, he was Mr. Do-It-All at Western Illinois a few years ago, right around seven points per game. Then you take a look at Murray State, and there's sort of a collection of these pieces as well. Really, the lone guy that returns from last year is DJ Turned Up Burns with 10.5 points, 8.5 boards. Now you've got back in the fold Steve Prohm, who we all remember what he was able to do, and Rob Perry and Jacoby Wood. They've been able to combine for 27 points, 9 boards, 7.5 assists. Both of these guys shooting the low 30s from three-point range, and Murray State as whole. They shoot about 31% from three. They don't necessarily generate a lot of seals. They do a nice job taking care of the ball, only about 10.8 turnovers a game, and it's been all about the D2 gentleman in Jamari Smith, who was the star at Queens NC last season, who's been able to deliver 17 points, six boards, shooting 40% from three at six foot eight. He has been terrific, but I do think that Illinois State is having a little bit of a tough time meshing right now with their transfers. I do think that they are going to be able to take hold. I do think that they are starting to get on the same page, and I think Murray State just doesn't have enough firepower to be able to cover this big of a number, especially with Illinois State being relatively solid down low. I'm willing to take the points in the spot. I set my number at nine. Illinois State playing quite a bit slower than last season. Murray State a little bit more up-tempo, but I do think that you've got a possibility of some late game fouls set by 137, so looking over to go along with points. 761-762 on the betting board. It is Valparaiso on the road facing off against Belmont. Belmont anywhere between 11 and 11.5 point favorites. Your total is between 140.5 and 141.5. I don't think we've taken into account the fact that 
This is a Belmont team that, well, let's call it what it is. They are not the same team that we have seen in past years with this Belmont bunch. They lose pretty much four out of their top five scores from last season. Now, the good news for this Belmont bunch is they do bring back really one of their main scores from last season, and that would be Ben Shepard. And Ben Shepard has been absolutely tremendous with this team as he's been able to deliver right in the neighborhood about 20 points per contest. He's also been able to give you right around five rebounds per game, and that's a little bit of an issue because other than Evan Brown, who's been able to give you about five rebounds per game. You don't have a whole heck of a lot else. Valparaiso, they're also a top-heavy team. You've got Ben Cricky, who's been Mr. Do-It-All for this team. 19.5 points, seven boards. Now, he shoots 15% from three-point range, but that said, he's been able to do a rock-solid job for this team. 20-plus points in three out of the last five games. Seven-plus rebounds in each out of the last three as well. He needs, really, a few outside shots to go for our good friend Kobe King, though. Kobe King, 17 points, two assists, steal per game, shooting 37% from three. Has played in college basketball since dinosaurs were roaming the earth, but... Now he's got a little bit of facilitation to take him off the ball. That'd be Darius DeViero, who's been able to do that. DeViero, three points per game, but he delivers three and a half assists per contest. Does a good job with his on-ball defense. 1.6 steals per game, so that has been nice to see. And you've got a nice number three score in Quentin Green. Quentin Green comes in from, I think, Cedarville College, a 91 school. He's been able to do a nice job, 12.5 points, 3.5 rebounds per game, shooting darn near 40% from three-point range. But a little bit of a hot and cold sort of score, but I do like what he's able to bring to the table for this team. And for Belmont, you just don't have the depth that you've seen in past years. This is a team that they used to be able to go like 8, 9 deep. You've got Dan Freiberg, who comes in from Princeton, 13.5 points per contest, bearing 47% of his threes. Should see a little regression there in Belmont. Not a good free throw shooting team. They shoot 67.5% at the free throw line. I like what I've seen out of 6'7 freshman Kate Tyson. 14 points, 4 boards. So he's been able to do a rock solid job there. But with that said, with Belmont, I think that this is a team that has gotten a little bit overvalued. Set them as an 8.5 point favorite. Willing to take double figures with Valparaiso. Semi-total 142.5 Valparaiso. A very much low tempo team, but a team that they're... Quite inefficient on defense at Belmont. They're always one of the most efficient offenses in all of college basketball. So looking over and taking the points with Valparaiso. 763, 764 on the betting board. You got UW Green Bay, and they're going to be playing us UW Milwaukee. UW Milwaukee is anywhere between a 5.5 and, and a 6 point road favorite. Didn't think I'd be saying that too much this season. Don't game is anywhere between 135 and, and 137. This is warranted. UW Green Bay stinks. UW Green Bay really, really stinks. I mean, I wish I could put it any other way, but this team has no size at all. You've got a UW Green Bay team that they're just looking for anyone, and I mean anyone, to be able to step up as right now you've got Zay Blake leading the way with 9.8 points per game. It's relatively pathetic. He's shooting 66.7% from three, and well, that's just because he hasn't taken a lot of threes this season. I believe that he is currently 6 of 9 from three. Make your 69 jokes here, but with UW Green Bay... This is a bunch that they're averaging 57 points per game. They're turning the ball over 14 times for contests. They don't generate a lot of seals. They shoot 26% from three. They get 67% of their free throws to go down. And they don't have a single guy averaging more than 3.8 rebounds per game. I mean, boy, it's a tough sell here. BJ Freeman on the flip side for UW Milwaukee. He's done a nice job of delivering 13 points, four and a half rebounds for the team. Shooting 35% from three. UW Milwaukee, another team that doesn't do a great job down low, but... At the very least, they've got someone that's able to give them more than four rebounds per game. You've got nice versatility out of Jalen Johnson. He comes in from Alabama A&M. It's been a little bit of tough sledding for him after he, at the spike level last year, had 16 points, 7.5 rebounds per game. But 
still has been able to do some solid things for this team. You know, also bring in Angelo Stewart. I like what he's been able to show coming in from Seattle, and I believe he was at the 91 level last season. Eight points per contest. He can about 38% of his threes, and UW-Milwaukee looks to finally be getting online with offense. They bring in Bart Lundy, who is such a good coach at the D2 level with Queens NC, and maybe they will put up now 72 plus points in three of their last four games. So, things are looking a little bit more promising for them. UW-Green Bay is currently a wet match in a dark cave, so I did say UW-Milwaukee is a six-half point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. I just don't think UW-Green Bay is going to be able to do their part with this total. They have been very sad on offense. 64 points or fewer in every one of their games thus far this season. UW-Milwaukee, I still think that they've got a little bit of a ways to go in terms of their offense, and with this being an intra-state rivalry, I do think that it's going to be very much a grind them out game. Set my total at 134.5, so diving under to go along with UW-Milwaukee laying the points. 765-766 on the betting board. Arizona is going to be on the road facing off against Utah. Utah is a 7-7.5 point home underdog. Total is anywhere between 154 and 155.5 with Arizona. I did set them as a 10-point favorite. Arizona has been highly impressive. They play so stinking up-tempo, and yet they do such a good job of being able to find shots. Now, I do think that there's going to be regression from their field goal shooting percentage, which is literally north of 61%. That is number one in all of college basketball. It's number one by more than 5%. But with this Utah team, we saw them get out of control against Georgia Tech. Many of you guys remember that DK Nation pick, and boy, was that a bad beat. But with that said, you've got a Utah team that last season, they did a nice job of being able to control the ball this year. In terms of turnovers, more around 12 and a half per contest, despite them being one of the slower teams in college basketball. What you do have with this team is some good versatility, as you've got someone like a Ben Carlson who comes in from Wisconsin. He's been able to give the team five and a half boards, four and a half points per game. He's able to pop some threes. Now you've got the bigger Carlson and Braden Carlson. He's been pumping in their 13 points, 7.5 boards, shooting 37.5% from 3, 2.5 blocks per game, and then Gabe Madsen, Marco Anthony, they combined to give you 24 points, 8 boards, right around 4 assists per game, and then Raleigh Worcester has been able to give out 4 assists with Lazer Stefanovic shipping in there some nice contributions as well, but with that said, Azul Sabels and Omar Balo. They're combining for 38 points, 18 rebounds, 4 assists, 2 steals, 2.5 blocks per game. I and mean, it's just absolutely incredible. Kirk Riza, he only gives out about 2.8 turnovers while dishing out 7.5 assists, 15 points per game. He's been shooting 50% from 3. Arizona, they're shooting 45% from 3. Once again, a number that is going to be going a bit downward, but Adama Ball has impressed me. You bring in the versatile player from Campbell and Cedric Henderson Jr. 9.5 points, 3 boards per game, shooting 44% from 3. A little bit tough going on the road, but with Arizona, even though they're a 3-point shooting percentage, it will regress. They do such a good job with their offense of finding good shots down low. As a result, I did set Arizona as a 10-point favorite. I do think that Utah is actually going to slow this game down a little bit. And Arizona may be able to do a nice job of being able to generate some seals as well. I do think that numbers are starting to get a little bit out of whack for Arizona, especially due to the fact that there should be a little bit of regression coming with their offense. Somebody told at 115.5, diving under and willing to lay up to 10 with Arizona. 767-768 on the betting board. It is Colorado playing us Arizona State. Arizona State is an under dog of between four and five points in your total game, and between 137 half and 138. I did set my total at a 143 and a half. I'm going to be looking over. Got a pair of teams that they rank in the top 75 now of college basketball in terms of total possessions per game, and Colorado team that has been slowed down a little bit more recently. That's because they played against Boise State and Yale, two of the better defensive teams they're going to find at the major level in all of college basketball. But with Colorado, 
The guy that I really like, KJ Simpson. 17 points, 5 boards, 3 and a half assists, 1.7 steals per game. He and Tristan De Silva combined shoot about 34% from three-point range Colorado. They need to shoot a little bit better than 68% of the free throw and 31.5% from three. But De Silva, 6 foot 8 combo player, has been able to give the team 12 points per game. Jalen Gabadin has been able to come in, do a solid job with 8 points per game. And then been impressed by Javon Hadley. He comes in as a six foot six, a little bit of a combo player who was at Northeastern a few seasons ago, and he's been really solid. Ten and a half points, eight boards, a block, and a steal per game. And then for Arizona State, Marcus Bagley is currently suspended. That's just a big ongoing saga. You've got Frankie Collins, who's had to be in Mr. Do It All mode. He and DJ turned out a horn. I combined twenty six points, ten boards. Five assists per game out of Collins, three per contest from DJ Horn. But with Collins, 3.6 turnovers per game in Arizona State, they're turning the ball over 14 times per game while not generating a whole bunch of steals. Warren Washington is solid down low. Seven footers able to give you eight and a half points, seven rebounds per game. And they've been looking to Luther Muhammad along with Austin Nunez to be able to help out off the bench. I combined 11 points per game out of these two gentlemen, but Arizona State shooting about 32.5% from three, and they clearly are not the same team on the road. And Colorado, if you take a look at their splits, really since Tad Boyle has been there, they've been one of the best cover teams in all of college basketball at home. They've been one of the worst cover teams in college basketball on the road. Arizona State, they are very inconsistent home to road as well. I think that that is something that is very important to take a look at in this game. Going to Boulder is no joke. The CU Event Center, it really turns down for nobody. And I do think that Colorado is going to be able to utilize that home court advantage and the elevation to be able to get them to victory. And I do think that this is going to be a tad bit more of an up-tempo game. I think that it's going to result in perhaps some late game falling as well. So I did set my total at 143.5. I'm looking over. And with Colorado, set them as a 5.5 point favorite. So one will lay 4 to 5 with them. 769, 770 on the banking board. It is Kansas. And they're going to be playing us to Seton Hall. Seton Hall is an underdog between 7 and 8 points. And your total on this game is between 135 and 136. I did make Kansas the 8 point favorite. So I am going to be willing to lay the number and. With this total, it's a little bit difficult because I set it at a 135 and a half. I would personally rather have a 136 under rather than a 135 over. That's where I stand right now, though I'm going to be seeing how this moves overnight. With Kansas, they were able to put up 87 points on Texas Southern, but it's a down year for Texas Southern, and they've been able to do a solid job with their defense. That Wisconsin game going over, that's because the game went to overtime. The only reason why the NC State game went over is because of a three literally in garbage time that pushed it over, and that was a rough beat for anyone that had the spread in that game as well. But Jalen Wilson is going to be the best player out there on the floor. 23 points, 9 boards, 3.5 assists. He's shooting about 34% from 3. In Kansas overall, he shoot about 35.5% from 3, but also shoot 62% on the free throw line. They're not the same offensive team that they've been in the past, but they're even better on defense. As you've got Kevin McCullough along with Dewan Ayers combining for 4.2 steals per game and combined 17.5 points. Harris is dishing out 6 assists per game. McCullough, he is dealing with a little bit of an ailment. He was out for that Texas Southern game. I would expect him to play, but not necessarily be 100% in this game. Grady Dick for Kansas, 15.5 points, 4 boards, shooting 46% from three-point range, but I would like to see a little bit more out of someone like a Joseph Yasufu. I wish that they would give him a few more minutes. And then for Seton Hall, it's a whole is greater than the sum of its parts approach. As you've got Terry Samuel 
along with Elamir Dawes and Dre Davis, combining for about 33.5 points per contest. Samuel, 6.5 rebounds down low. Dawes has been able to shoot 50% from three, and Davis and Dawes, they combined to shoot about 92% of the free line. That should be going a bit southward. Casey Undefu has been solid giving the team a block and a steal per game with about 7 points per contest, but this is a senior team that they have a tough time taking care of the ball, 15 after an overs game. you got a pair of teams that they don't necessarily play slow, but they really have been able to do a nice job on defense. They leave a lot to be desired on offense, which is why I would rather have the 136 under rather than the 135 over. But with that said, going into Fog Allen Fieldhouse, that is no jokes, my friends. I do think that Kansas, they're going to be able to get it done at home. I do think that they're going to lock down a Seton Hall team that they've got some versatile guards, but down low, I do think that they're going to be had by Jalen Wilson. I'm going to lay up to eight with Kansas, so laying the points, and going to be taking a look at a 136-100. on the betting board. Utah State is going to be playing us Utah Tech. Utah Tech is a sizable underdog. Between 18.5 and, and 19 points, with your total between 145 and 145.5. And Set my total at a 145.5, so here at the 145, I'm willing to go over. You've got a Utah State team that inevitably they're going to see this three-point shooting percentage regress because with Utah State, I mean, it's been absolutely incredible. They're shooting 47.8% from three-point range, and they're a good three-point shooting team, but among the top three scores that have attempted at least one three and made at least one three this season, they're all shooting at least 47.8% from three. You've been able to get 11.5 points, six half boards out of Max Schorliga, and then you've been able to get a combined 37 points. You also get eight and a half rebounds out of Taylor Funk. Steven Ashworth gives you five and a half assists per game between them, 37 points per contest. It's been absolutely incredible. And Ashworth and Funk are combined to shoot 55% from three point range. And it's not like it's on a low volume either. They've taken, I believe, 71 threes and they've hit 39. Just incredible. You've got down low a guy that gives you nine boards in Daniel Aiken as well. But I do think that Utah Tech is going to be laying in there in the backcourt because they do have Cameron Gooden, who's been solid. 16 points on 38.5% three-point shooting. is also able to generate ACO per game. Tanner Christensen should be a little to zone down low. Comes in from Ido, 10 points, 7.5 rebounds per game. You've got a Utah Tech team that... Overall, they only shoot about 65% of the free throw line, but they're able to generate about eight seals per game. I like Noe Gonsolves, who's been able to shoot about 35 or so percent from three-point range, and then Isaiah Pope has really been able to step up. Last season, only about five and a half points per game, has always been a pedestrian three-point shooter, but now shooting 43.5% from three-point range, 11 plus points in four of the team's last five games. He's really been able to step up in terms of generating seals as well, eight of them in the last four games. Utah Tech is a team that is improving in the right direction. You've got good depth with guys like a Dancel Letter, Frank Staney, Jacob Nichols, all giving you between about six and seven points per game with Utah Tech. I do think that they're going to be the beneficiaries of Utah State not continuing to shoot right around 48% from three-point range. Utah State, still a very good offensive team, and this is going to be a bit more of an up-tempo game. Utah Tech, they haven't necessarily been super, super fast this season. I do think that they're going to crank up that tempo a little bit, though, so taking a look at the 145 over with Utah State. Go ahead and make them a 15.5-point favorite. I think that Utah Tech going to hold up on the glass, so looking at the points and taking a look at this total over. 773, 774 on the betting board. UC Davis is going to be playing us Pacific. Pacific is a 6.5 to a 7-point underdog, and your total is between 153 and 154. I did set my total at a 149.5, so I'm going to be willing to go under with UC Davis. I think that they just had a few bad days out in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. 
Anyone that's lived in the great state of Wisconsin knows all too well about those. But that said, I did make this line, UC Davis being just a four-point favorite with Pacific. Down low is where you can really hurt them. They don't have a single guy that gives you more than four and a half rebounds per game, but this is a good Pacific backcourt as you've got a pair of guys that enter from the power conference level in Tyler Beard and Donovan Williams. They've been able to combine for 25 points, eight rebounds, about two steals per game, and they combine to shoot about 37.5% from three-point range. Jordan and Ivy Curry, the UT San Antonio Roadrunner, 15 points per game. He's been able to fire it in 37% from three-point range. Luke Endovich shooting 60% from three. We'll see some regression there, but he's been solid. Judson Martindale comes in from Holy Cross. Nice little glue guy for the team as well. And Pacific, despite playing up-tempo, they're only turning the ball over right around 11 times per game. And then you got the most versatile player out there on the floor in Elijah Pepper for UC Davis. 19.5 points, 6.5 boards, 3.5 assists per game, shooting 38% from three-point range. Has been rock solid there. But coming off of having just five points in the last game against Boston U, that was the team's really ridiculous overtime win. That was a bad beat for many of us. But that said, got a UC Davis team that they're looking to play a little bit more up-tempo this season just with the way that things are. Your really lone true big man is Christian Onigwe. 12 points, 5 rebounds per game out of him, and he's been able to shoot 41% from 3, and we should see a little bit of regression from UC Davis in terms of the outside shooting. Each other, top 5 scores, they're shooting at least 37.5% from 3-point range, and this is legitimately a good 3-point shooting team. I don't think that they're this good of a 3-point shooting team. You've also been able to have right around 17.5 points per game out of Ty Johnson, who has really done a nice job taking some strides forward for this team, but you don't necessarily have a ton down low, and that's where you're really able to hurt this Pacific team with Pacific not having their fear, anyone that is going to be able to clean up the glass, I do think that they're going to be able to keep this game close. As a result, I set this as a four-point line. I'm going to be one to take the points with Pacific. They are playing quite a bit more up-tempo, but I do think that both of these teams, they're doing for a little bit of three-point shooting regression. Got a Pacific team that they don't necessarily have that one trigger man as well, so they play a little bit disjointed. They don't really have that one true point guard with Beard giving you right around three assists per game, and I do think that that's going to lead to some less than efficient offense moving forward. As a result, we might total a 149.5, so looking under and looking at the points with Pacific. We go 775, 776 on the betting board. Washington is going to be on the road facing off against Oregon State. Oregon State in between a 5 to a 6.0 home underdog, anywhere between 132 and 133 is your total, and I did set this total at a one. 31 and a half. I'm going to be willing to dive under with a Washington team that currently they're in the bottom 75 all of college basketball in terms of possessions per game. You may recall that it felt like it was going more and more up-tempo under Mr. Mike Hopkins. They have decided to go a little bit more slowly and it's worked out for them. Frenick Kepadog has been able to do a good job down low giving the team 7 rebounds per game. He's had a few double-doubles this season. I like the way that he's coming along. And then it's the Keons. Keon Menefield along with Keon Brooks. Brooks missed a few games this season, but when he's been out there, 16.7 boards, 1.4 blocks, 1.4 seals per game, and Menafield is really the main guy in terms of being able to pop three, shooting 43.5% from three-point range, and then Cole Padgema has been someone I like as well, nine points per game. He's got relatively good size. He's able to pop a few threes. He's been able to contribute five rebounds per game as well. And then you take a look at the flip side for this Oregon State team, and with Oregon State, it's been... Shall we say, not so great down low for the team as Dimitri Rooney along with Rodrigue. Andela, they've been able to do an okay job for the team. Andela's been able to give you five and a half rebounds per game. Dimitri Rooney, six points, four boards per contest. Or an Oregon State team that shooting 28% from three. 
They're not slow. They're not fast. They're a mid-tempo team, but 14 turnovers per game. I actually really like what they're seeing out of freshman Jordan Pope. He's come along for the ride. 16 points, 3.5 boards, 3.5 assists, shooting 36.5% from 3-point range, and 14-plus points in four of the team's last five games, 12-plus points in all five of them. Glenn Taylor Jr. is one in the takeover mode, 12.5 points, 2.5 boards, 2.5 assists for the kid from lovely Las Vegas. As he's only shooting about 25% from 3, though. And with Oregon State, you really just don't have a lot of creators. This is a team that is very much bereft of a lot of depth. They could use a little bit more out of Giant of the Earth, Chol Mariel, who's like seven foot two, but it's never really been able to develop for this team. It's a rough Oregon State team to say the least. And for Washington, you still have Jamal Bay, who's been in college for 100 million million years. He, along with PJ Fuller, have both been able to give you about 8.9 points per contest. These are guys that have gotten off to rough three-point shooting starts of the season. I do think that they're going to be able to pick it up. And well, I think that with Oregon State, the best thing that they have going for them is that they play in Corvallis. And Corvallis is a tough place to be able to travel to. With that said, I still set Washington as a seven-point favorite. I'm going to be willing to lay the number. Oregon State, they just can't can threes to save their lives. They're having a tough time taking care of the ball. So let's decide my total at 131.5. Looking under and looking to lay it with Washington. 777 and 778 on the betting board was supposed to be San Diego versus UC San Diego. So the battle for San Diego... This game has been postponed due to a volleyball game. I am not joking when I say that. San Diego has one gym. It is being used for volleyball. So the game has been postponed. We move on. 779, 780 on the banking board. It is UCLA, and they are going to be on the road facing off against Sanford. Sanford is a home underdog of anywhere between 5 and 5.5 five and points. Toronto's game is anywhere between 136 and 136.5. And, and the UCLA, I set them as a 7.5 point favorite. This is a Stanford bunch at, well, they have a very tough time taking care of the ball with darn near 14 turnovers per game. Harrison Ingram just has not been able to live up to his billing as well. A projected first-round pick when he came out of high school. He's been playing a little bit better recently, but right around 10 to 11 points per game, five or so rebounds, you just expect more out of him. You've had Brandon Angel be able to pop some threes, but he's an incredibly inconsistent player, someone who's right around six foot eight, been able to give the team nine points, four boards, shooting 27.5% from three. Now, I will say Spencer Jones has been pretty good. He's been able to give the team 10.5 points. He's been able to bury only about 28% of his threes. And then you bring in the... Uh, Transfer from Davidson and Michael Jones, who does a good job giving the team 10 points, 2 assists, but Stanford as a whole, they're shooting 28% from 3-point range, and you got a UCLA bunch that they should be able to control things down low. You've been able to get some really good production out of Adam Bona. Now, you do want to be noting that Jalen Clark, he did miss the team's last game, but that was a little bit more for like an illness, and he's had a few days of recovery. He should be good to go according to my sources over there in the great city of Angels, but he's been amazing when he's been out there. 15.5 15.5.7.5 boards, 2.5 assists, 2.7 steals per game while shooting 46% from 3-point range. While Stanford turns the ball over a lot, UCLA does not. 10 turnovers per game while generating 9.5 steals per game. Tiger Campbell, he's been a little bit down in terms of 3-point shooting percentage this season, but 4.9 assists of 1.9 turnovers, 14 points per game. And then you bring in the freshman from the Midwest in Amari Bailey. He's been solid with 10 points, 3 assists, 
Shooting in the mid-30s from three-point range, Jaime Yaquez. We all know what to expect out of him. 16 points, six boards, two and a half assists. We're able to go down the list. And heck, if you're able to get Mac ATN a little bit more online, if you're able to get some production out of Dylan Andrews, star freshman for this team, that's going to be all the more big. But I do think that UCLA should be able to take control of this game. And UCLA has been playing a little bit more up-tempo this season. They rank in the top 150 in terms of possessions per game. Sanford playing a little bit more slowly, but Sanford, they give the ball away quite a bit. I do think that UCLA is going to be able to turn defense into offense. Said this all at 137. I'm looking over. And with UCLA willing to lay up to 7.5 with them. And this is the last game on the normal Las Vegas betting board before we hit the extra game. 781, 782, Washington State. They're going to be on the road facing off against Oregon. Oregon is a 5 to 5.5 point favorite. So on this game is anywhere between 135 and 136. And with Oregon, I set them as a 5 point favorite. So 5.5 or more, I'm going to be one. Take the points with Washington State. I will say Khalil Ware has really been able to take hold for this Oregon team recently. Seven footers, star freshman who's been able to do a terrific job down low. Not quite the numbers of Infeli Dante. Dante. 13 points, 6 half boards per contest, but where he's been able to give the team 6 half boards, 11 points, he's able to pop a few threes. Oregon, they've got deficiencies in terms of 3-point shooting percentage, making just 30 as a collective. I do think that Will Richardson going to be going northward in terms of that percentage. He's been shooting just 31.5% from 3 this season after shooting 38.8% or better each out of the last 3 seasons, so I do think that there's going to be a little bit of a boom there, but for Oregon, turning the ball over 13.5 times per game, that's not terrific. They go up against the Washington State team that they've got Mohamed Gay doing a great job down low. 12.7 boards. Sable Pop 3 says it doesn't necessarily do so well. Washington State, the 44.4% three-point shooting is going to be going downward. TJ Bamba is a good three-point shooter. Heck, you're able to get good three-point shooting out of Jabe Mullins as well. These are not guys that are going to end the season shooting 56.5% from three. They're combining for 30 points, right around three assists per contest. And then Justin Bumbo Powell, who comes in from the SEC, 12 points, 5.8 boards, 4.5 assists. He's also shooting 50% from three-point range. I think Oregon is going to be able to get in, and they're going to be able to do a nice job of stifling them. Washington State, not necessarily an up-tempo team, and Oregon has been in the bottom 50 in terms of possessions per game as well. You've got Washington State dealing with a little bit of an injury. The DJ turned it up Rodman, but he was able to get out there against Detroit Mercy at nine points and three seals in that game, so you should be all good to go for this one. Question is, what are you going to be able to get down low aside from Mr. Mohamed Gay? And I do think that they're going to be able to get enough to be able to cover this game. I do think that Washington State probably going to lose the battle down low against Warren Company. I do like what I'm seeing out of Justin Powell, who's been having an assist to turnover ratio right around six this season. And I do think that it's going to be a low scoring game between a pair of teams that they've done a nice job of digging down defensively. So it's a spot where I did set Oregon as a five point favorite, willing to take five and a half with Washington State and set my total at a 134. So I'll be diving under. Now we hit the extra games. The normal betting board picks are complete, but there are some extra games today. So we go into the bonus. This starts with 306, 715, 306, 716. Wofford is going to be playing against Presbyterian. The Blue Hosts find themselves 11 half to 12 point underdogs. So it's anywhere between 133 and 133.5 with Wofford. I did set them as a 14 point favorite. Wofford had a little bit of a rough time of it to begin the season, but they do seem to be getting things online. They really had to just turn the page from having Ryan Larson running the show, and now they've been able to get a lot out of Jackson. Pavelski, who comes in from Kimberly, Wisconsin, a little bit familiar with him. 17 points, 4 assists per game, shooting 52.5% from 3-point range with a sizzling 15-plus points in 4 of the team's last 5 games. This is a Wofford team that in their last affair against LSU, they very nearly pulled off that win. They lose by 3. They've got quite a bit down low with B.J. Mack, 
being able to give you sixteen and a half points, six boards last year. He shot forty five percent from three. He has seen that shrink a little bit, but Messiah Jones is able to give you six half rebounds per game after he missed darn near all of last season as well. And then I look to Carson McCorkle, who last season was a little bit of an afterthought for this team. I figured that he would be seeing some more minutes, and thus far he's been able to step up. He's been able to give the team six points, not necessarily doing out the ball like a lot, but he's been a nice on ball defender and he's been able to provide along with Corey Tripp out there in the backcourt and Tripp. He's giving you two and a half assists, 1.7 steals per game, shooting over 50% from three. That should be going a little bit downward, but for Presbyterian, they've got all sorts of issues on offense, scoring 72 points or fewer in all but one of their games. You've been able to get around five and a half rebounds out of Terrell Art Jr. And what I do like is say you now have Winston Hill back in the fold. He missed the first three or four games of the campaign, and he's been able to pick up where he left off with right around nine points per contest. But do note that he had just 15 minutes in the last game against VMI. Looked like he had a little bit of an injury in that game. He did have five rebounds and three blocks, but as many points as Greg Peterson is not necessarily a good sign. You bet Crosby beat James in the backcourt, be the lone double-figure scorer for this team. Presbyterian shooting 24.8% from three, 63% of the free line with 13 turnovers per game, while not necessarily playing great defenses. I set my toe at 129. Wofford is one of the slower teams in all of college basketball. I just don't think that there's going to be points out there for the Blue Oaks, so I'm looking at the under. And with Wofford, I'm willing to lay up to 14 with them. 306, 717, 306, 718. You've got Radford playing host NC Central. NC Central between a three and three and a half point underdog totals between 132 and 133. With NC Central, I set them as a two and a half point underdog, so I'm going to be willing to take three or greater with them. NC Central just does such a good job with regards to their defense, having active hands, and they're going up against a Radford bunch, and it feels like they're trying to find their blend. They bring in Brian Antoine, a former top 25 recruit, and he hasn't shown that thus far. Eight points, a steal per contest, shooting 29% from three. It's been relatively pedestrian. Meanwhile, you've got quite a few guys like a Josiah Jeffers and a Keon Giles who have shot much better from three, 40% between the two of them. They're combining for about 22.5 points. Jeffers has been able to give you 5.3 assists per game. I like what I'm seeing out of Daquan Smith. He's been able to generate 12 points per game for the team now. Down low, Shaquan Jules is really the only guy that's giving you more than five rebounds per game. This is a ride for a team in which the hole is greater than the sum of its parts. But for NC Central, they've done a solid job generating seven and a half steals per game with Eric Boone being a guy that was in the top 15 in all of college basketball in terms of steals per game. He and also the top scorer for this team and Justin Wright are both shooting 58.3% from three-point range. That's not going to last. These two guys are combined to average 28 points, nine boards. With Boone, you get those two and a half steals per game. But what I think is big for this team, bringing in the medley of Bacon. Seven-footer Brendan Medley Bacon, nine and a half points, four and a half rebounds. Last time he was in the MEAC, he was averaging a double-double in conference play. Chris Monroe has been able to give the team nine points, five boards. He's been a little bit down with the three-point shooting. All in all, NC Central shooting 39 and a half percent from three. That should regress a little bit, but I like Marquis Moltsby, who's been able to give the team right around eight points per contest. Nice sharpshooter making 40% of his threes. I think that NC Central going to hold in there against the Radford team that can sometimes get a little bit loose with the ball and doesn't necessarily have great rebounding. So, one to take the points with NC Central three or more. Semi total 134 and a half. Got a ride for a team that they traditionally play a little bit more slowly, but NC Central, they've been looking to kick it up tempo a little bit more and utilize those steals to turn defense into offense. So looking at the over and taking a look at the points. 306, 719, 306, 720. It's Arkansas State playing on the Mississippi Valley State. The Delta Devils on the road are a 14 and a half point underdog. Your total on this game is between 129 and 129 and a half. I made my number 14 as well. I was seeing earlier a number of 15 and a half, and I'd be willing to take 15 and a half with Mississippi State. So we shall see what happens to the AM as most books. They do not post these numbers on the extra games until the AM, but 15 or more, I would be in on 
this Mississippi Valley State squad, and that's where I would expect the number to go. And the big reason why I like this Delta Devils team, Terry Collins, he's been tremendous. 39% three-point shooter with 17.5 points, five boards, two assists per game. He has really done a good job of stuff in the stat sheet. And under George Ivory, this is a Mississippi Valley State squad that they're not scoring a lot of points, but they've been more respectable. They aren't going to just completely gun it, try to have 100 possessions per game while scoring 50 points like they were doing under Lindsey Hunter. They were a bunch of turkeys with their heads cut off, and they had no idea what they were doing. So that wasn't too tremendous. Now, with the Delta Devils, you don't have a lot down low. Elvin Cedric, he's been able to give the team five and a half rebounds per game, and right now he's leading the way with that regard. You could use a little bit more out of Michael Barber who comes in from Alabama State. He's been able to give the team five and a half points, three and a half rebounds per game, but Arkansas State, who are they to be laying this big of a number? They bring in someone I like who began his career at Fairfield, was down at the 91 level last few seasons in Omar El Ashik. He's been able to give the team nine and a half points, eight boards. Someone that's able to pop threes has been a little bit off with that this season, but you do have Caleb Fields generating for the team 13 points, five assists, shooting 41% from three. All in all for Arkansas State, they are shooting about 32% from three-point range. Malcolm Farrington, he missed the beginning part of the season, 13-plus points in the four games that he has been able to play thus far this season. And for Arkansas State, they've been able to do a good job of generating 9.7 seals per game. Out of their top six scores, all of them generate at least 0.9 seals per game, including Terrence Ford Jr. has been able to do a nice job coming in, giving the team right around seven points per game. But with Arkansas State, they've got a little bit of a tough time with their defense as well. Mississippi Valley State, they have been throttling down a little bit, but I do think that they're going to find some holes in a Arkansas State defense that is really not doing a good job on the perimeter, and they do have a little bit of, shall we say, sagginess down low. So with Mississippi Valley State, we'll to take 15 or more with them. And I did set my total at 132.5, so here at the 129, I'm going to be looking at the over. 306-721, You've got Houston Christian playing us to Denver. The Pioneers of Denver are between 3.5 and 4-point road favorites. Your total is between 148.5 and 149.5. I did set my total at 144.5. Denver, I recognize that they did not have that savory defensive performance against good old IUPY, but past that, they've actually been able to do a relatively solid job on defense this season, and they go up against a bunch here at Houston Christian that, well, they are just a little bit decimated. They were really relying upon Darius Lee to be the main scorer for the team. He unfortunately passed his way in the offseason, and since then, they've had to really mix and match. Bryson Long and Bunke Mudding, these two guys are combining for about 26 points per contest. Long has been able to give you two and a half assists per game, and you've got Pierce Bazil. He has come in as a freshman, done a good job being able to give up four and a half assists per game, shooting 34.5% from three, but Houston Christian is just giving away too many possessions, 17 and a half turnovers per game. They have throttled down a little bit in terms of their tempo, and they've got two guys that have been able to do a solid job down low. You're able to get seven and a half rebounds per game out of Deshaun Proctor. He's been able to tip in their ten and a half points per game, but he is currently missing from the fold, so that means that Sam Hoffman has had to do it all for the team. Shooting 47% from three, eight points, seven rebounds per game. We are going to see some regression from that three-point shooting, but someone like a Zach IMU I thought was going to be able to take some strides forward. It's not. And for Denver, they bring in Tommy Bruner. He was a part of Jacksonville's roster last season and was able to do a good job for them. 13 points, three and a half assists thus far this season. Tevin Smith has been rock solid for this bunch as well, but did miss one of the team's games in that multi-team event, so you do want to be noting that team's out score 14 and a half points per game. I think he should be fine, but something to monitor, and then Tyree Corbett should be able to control things down low. Comes in from the MEAC, 12 and a half points, nine rebounds per game a season ago. Denver has been able to do a better job with their perimeter defense. They themselves are shooting just 28.5% from three-point range. They could use a little bit more out of someone like a Marco Lukic, who comes in from Little Rock, where he was able to give the team 11.5 points per game coming off the bench last season. I was expecting a little bit more of Lucas 
Kasunas, who comes in from Sanford. He's been able to give the team nine and a half points, three and a half rebounds per game as a six foot ten, a little bit of a combo player. But I do think that Denver should be able to do enough to go on the road, knock off the Houston Christian team, of which they just turned the ball over too much. I do think that Denver looking to go a little bit more defense oriented under the second year of this new coaching regime. So willing to lay up to four with Denver. So I might tell at 144 and a half, so also diving under 306, 723, 306, 724. Bethune Cookman plays host to Chicago State. Chicago State's a four and a half point underdog. Tarans game is 139 to 140 and with Cookman going to make them a four-point favorite. So I'm going to be taking a look at the points with Bethune-Cookman. They do have quite a bit of talent in the backcourt. They bring in a former top 100 recruit in Zion Harmon. Comes in from Western Kentucky and he's able to shoot 36% from three, 13 points, three and a half assists. So I do like his overall game. The big thing for Bethune-Cookman is that after he was lightning hot, from three-point range last season with 16 points, shooting 44% from three. Joe French has regressed in a bad way. 7.7 points on 27% three-point shooting this season. He's been able to give the team just eight points in the last two games. He just looks lost in the abyss right now. You do have Demandy McIntyre last season. Was able to generate a little bit over two seals per game. He still has been able to do that. And for Bethune-Cookman, they're turning the ball over 13 times per game. They're shooting 36% from three. Not bad on offense. Defense has been absolutely wretched. And for Chicago State, they've had a bit of a rough go of it on offense. A lot of this is because if you take a look at the competition, it's murderer's role. Playing against Marquette, playing up against Northwestern, having to play against Marshall, Kent State. They've played some very good competition to begin the season. And you do have a former top one recruit in Wesley Carter Jr., who has come in from Sanford and has been terrific. 15.5 points, 8.5 boards, 3.5 assists per contest while shooting 45% from three. You got a Chicago State team that they knock down 76.5% of the free throws. They don't necessarily force a lot of steals. And you could use a little bit more from Bryce Johnson and Brent Davis. These are a pair of guys averaging about 6.5 points per contest. They are able to combine for about 6 rebounds per game, but download Jayshon Corbett, 9 boards, 12.5 points per game. That has been rock solid. And for Elijah Weaver, missed the game a little bit earlier in the season, but he has really been able to do a nice job from outside, shooting 42.5% from 3, 12.5 points per game. I do think that Chicago State going to be able to hold in there. Bethune-Cookman going to win from within with Marcus Garrett being able to do a nice job with his versatility and Dylan Robertson giving you 5 rebounds per game, but we'll take 4.5 with Chicago State. So Thumb has a 4-point underdog. I do think that Chicago State going to be able to take it to a Bethune-Cookman team that's had a tough time guarding the arc. Semi-tall at 142 as well, so going over along the points. 306, 725, 306, 726. Lamar is going to be playing us at Texas State. Texas State, an 11-point road favorite. Total saying between 131 and 132.5. They set Texas State as a 13-point favorite. This is just not a good Lamar team. They've got one win over a D1 opponent since the beginning of last season, and for Lamar, just all about finding someone to be able to help out this offense. Nate Calmezzi has been able to do a good job, giving the team 14 points, 3 assists as a freshman. But this is a Lamar team that has not been able to knock down three, shooting 23.5% for three. Calmezzi, he shoots 26.5%. From the outside, you've been able to get a pair of guys in Jacavian Butley and Chris Pryor to really get online and combine eight assists. They're giving you 24.5 points per game, but neither of these guys can really bomb it from three. And you just don't have a lot down low. You've got one guy who's been able to give you right around eight and a half rebounds per game in Adam Hamilton, and he's really the only guy that's giving you more than 5.1 rebounds per game. Was expecting a bit more out of Jason Thirdkill, a relatively highly touted freshman who's only been able to deliver about four points per game for Texas State. Mason Errol is going to be by far the best player 
player out there on the floor. 19 and a half points per game, shooting 38% from three. Just five foot nine, a buck 45, but this kid has a heart of a lion. And then down low, you've been able to get six rebounds per game and 10 and a half points from Tyrell Morgan. Texas State as a whole, they're shooting 28% from three, which you know that that's going to be going northward. They did lose a lot of three-point shooting with guys like Caleb Lasbury and company leaving the fold last season, but I mean, they're even better than that. Been able to get five rebounds per game out of Nate Martin, so he's been able to do a good job of holding down the fort end. After missing a few games to begin the season, Thong Thatch Gakek, who comes in from Florida, he's now good to go for this team. He's been able to give the team four plus rebounds in each out of the last three games and a combined five blocks in the last two games as well. So this is a Texas State team that it's going to be hard for Lamar to be able to drive in against. This is a Lamar team that they do a very bad job of being able to guard the three-point arc. And both of these teams, very, very slow. I just don't think that Lamar is going to even be able to get to 60 in this spot. Lamar has been able to score some points, but that has come against the likes of Lindenwood, West Carolina. list goes on and on. They were held at 50 against SMU, and I think that they're going to be held on in this game. Set Texas State as a 13-point favorite, one to lay it. I mean, by total 128, so diving under, and this will wrap things up. 306, 727, 306, 728. Stone Cold, Stephen F. Austin, playing us in Northwestern State. Northwestern State between an 11 and an 11.5 point underdog with your total between 137 and 137.5. I set this line at 10. I'm going to be willing to take the points with Northwestern State. They've done a good job all season long of just providing a good effort, and they've been undervalued all throughout. They bring in the Missouri State coaching staff, and the top three scores from this team, they followed that Missouri State coaching staff. Isaac Haney, Jamonta Black, and Demarcus Sharp. These are a trio of guys that have been able to give you right around 38.5 points per game. They've been able to contribute about 13 rebounds per game. Haney and Sharp combined for 5.5 assists and 4 steals per game at Sharp. It's been able to shoot 55% from 3. Northwestern State as a whole, they're shooting 37.5% from 3-point range. They could use a little bit more down low, but they've been able to get 6.5 rebounds per game out of Jalen Hampton. He's coming as a freshman from the great state of Missouri. He's been able to do a solid job in Northwestern State. They generate nearly 10 steals per game. They're not quite stone cold Stephen F. Austin, who's able to give you right around 11 steals per game, but with Stephen F. Austin, they've had a really tough time taking care of the ball. 17 steals per game. They shoot as collective 37.5% from three, and I'm not convinced that they're that good of a three-point shooting team. You've got Latrell Jossel and Saradine Hall, who have been able to combine for 24 points. Both are shooting north of 40% from three. These two guys, along with Nigel Hawkins, have been able to give you five steals per game. That is going to be a constant. Hawkins is able to give you 10 points per game, along with Roddy Ware. Ware has been able to shoot 50% from three, once again, going southward with that, but you really don't have anyone other than Hall that's able to give you more than 5.2 rebounds per game. You've got Nana Atibuasiko, who's been able to give you right around five boards, nine points per game, but that said, I do think that Northwestern State going to be able to hold up on the glass or Achilles heel is not necessarily having a lot of rebounding in. That's not going to nip them in the butt in this circumstance. I did set Steve F. Austin as a 10-point favorite, so we'll take 11 or more with Northwestern State. Did set my total at a 138. Steve F. Austin does a good job being able to generate turnovers, make things a little bit more up-tempo in Northwestern State. They're able to can their threes, and I think that this could be a close enough game to where we get some late-game fouling. So, looking at the over and the points, and that will wrap things up for the Thursday edition of Coast to Coast Seeps. Now part of the VEASAN family podcast. If you've got a question, comment, segment, idea, what have you for this podcast, you do have one of two ways we go for those in. First one is my Twitter timeline, at GNN underscore 81. Keep in mind, letters EM. They mean does not matter, so as per usual, please send these into the timeline, and the other way is find an Apple Podcast review. If you rate this podcast five stars, it is very much appreciated from there. You are able to fire whatever you'd like to hear on this podcast by that five-star review. A big thanks to Kevin Sweeney for joining me in the last segment. Does great work over there at Sports Illustrated. I'll be coming at you guys every single day throughout the college basketball season on this podcast. That means I'm coming at you once again tomorrow. Thank you so much for getting in.
Allstate wants to remind fans that mayhem is everywhere, like when the tailgate party shows up at your house after the big win. Everything's great until the hot plate gets too hot for the tablecloth. Now your kitchen's up in smoke. And if you don't have the right home insurance coverage, the cost to fix this could sideline your savings. So switch to Allstate, save money, and get protected from mayhem like this. Not available in every state based on coverage selected, subject to terms, conditions, and availability. Savings vary. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp. It's a simple truth that no matter who you are, mental health challenges can affect you and how you manage them can be all the difference. That's why everyone should have access to mental health support that meets them where they are and helps them get through. BetterHelp provides online therapy on your schedule. It's flexible, simple to use, and more affordable than in-person therapy. Connect with a licensed therapist selected just for you and you're able to learn more over at BetterHelp.com. That's B-E-T-T-E-R-H-E-L-P dot com.